on Wikipedia, it's phonetically Sutagio Jiburi. It's croissant. <laughs> so, um, oh, respect the dressing room, smell the sheets, and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast. I'm gonna put it that way. A weekly show where we talk about movies no one else wants to talk about, usually for as long as it takes to watch them, sometimes longer. This is episode number 162. We're talking about Mo' Better Blues, and my name is Jakub. And my name's Randy. Today, two extra voices with us. So, I don't know, uh, any mini mini mo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Jack. Jack's in the house. Uh, so, say hello, Jack. How are you doing, Jack? Um, bonjour. I'm doing brilliant. I'm really doing, I have a really stressful week watching crap on the telly and watching some quite dark and depressing features um, at the cinema. I'm really happy to talk about another really compelling piece and slightly. Uh, okay. I'm actually, the more we get into this, um, this uh, pantheon of a director, the more I'm getting like weirdly excited to seeing this, this career grow. Also, mm-hmm. I'll say that because that gives us too much away, but yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Back on. Like you, you're, you're always up for like just this, like spoiling stuff up front. It's like, no, I'm not. So, I set the precedent. Hi, my name is Jack. I'm having a lovely day. The butler did it. Yeah, I've only ever done <laughs> that. I've only ever done that once when I, when I said to people we were doing an episode and maybe I should have done <laughs> Right, uh, but that's not everything. I, I, I spoiled up front. Not one, but two extra voices we've got in here. So we've got another returning voice. When's the last time we've had Carson on? I think it was the um, Exorcist prequels. Carson to Mars in the house again. Carson, how are you doing? I am fantastic. It is noon. I went to the store and got the biggest beer I could, and I'm excited to talk about some Spike Lee. What's the biggest beer you can get? Well, just at my local store, the Giant Bud Light, but... We'll see where this goes. How big is the can? I need a banana for scale. Oh, I don't have a banana on me. You know, normally I do, but I have no idea how big it is. You should always have a truth. banana on you, like holstered, like a weapon. Well, normally you caught me <laughs> unbananaed. <Hey>, cheers. <laughs> this one's having a Guinness. And all I have. This wasn't planned. Is this this yeah. is just don't worry. I have, I have the vodka for hour three. We'll, oh, we're good. No, no, okay, no well, I'll, I'll say like this is you know like this no. is just vodka. No. This is and just I've got six-hour-old coffee, mineral water, and a candle. <laughs> right, where are we? Yeah, so I've spoiled already up front. We're talking more better blues because today is our monthly stopover at the Spike Lee station. Last year we did Steven Soderbergh. This this year we're doing Spike Lee Baby, and we're dividing this whole project across both our Patreon and the main show. And on the main show, we're trying to do. We call them minor joints, and um, on the uh, Patreon, we're trying to do what what we think are major joints. Sometimes with a little bit of debate, but you know, we're gonna get to the more debatable ones. Like which one's bigger than the other? I don't know. We'll find out. Where was I? Yeah, more better blues. This is happening now. In addition to this, Wednesday from when this is released. We're going to drop on our Patreon, do the right thing. So that will be the major joint for the month. And actually, as a reminder, might as well just quickly mention Near Dark, the second installment of our Catherine Bigelow marathon, which is the director marathon for 2024, has just dropped. Um, as of 
well, not as of recording of this episode, but as of release of this episode. I'm like, this is four years of doing this almost, and I still have problems living in the past and the future. <laughs> this is stupid. Fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, so Near Dark's on our Patreon. Also, Airport, which is a tie in to our last month's considerations about air terror in the sky, is also on our Patreon, available for your pleasures. And also, the previous month's um, Spike Lee might as well worth mentioning which was school days so that's all there patreon.com slash uncut gems pod which is just three bucks a month to join and at this point way over 80 podcasts most of them well over two hours so let's just see shit loads of listening <laughs> so i call it a bang for your buck but you know you tell me i don't know so if you'd like to join welcome aboard um if you if you don't feel like joining you can always leave us a donation at ko-fi.com slash uncut if you don't feel like doing so either you might as well just you know tell a friend leave us a star rating as long as it's not one star rating leave us a star rating um somewhere where you listen to this and tell a friend that's all we need to just organically slowly grow like a tree anyway so <laughs> what the hell <laughs> I don't know. It's been a what long week, okay? Yeah. It's been a long week. Did you said you had water in that drink? No comments. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, like, uh, it's been a long week, okay? But uh, but this is one of those weeks that I can't really get into much detail because, yeah, reasons. <laughs> How vague. Right. So, getting back to it. So, let's just do this. It's, it's, supposed, it's, gonna, it's supposed to be a fun podcast, okay? <laughs> Yeah. So, how about we just sort like, of is <laughs> so far. Cut the cut the chit chat. Let's go. Let's get into more bre- better. <laughs> let's get into more better blues and talk about some Spike Lee, baby. How about that? What did you call me? I called you your name. The hell you did! I, I ain't deaf, motherfucker. You called me Indigo. I, what? No, come on. I didn't call you Indigo. I called you a name. Come on. No, you didn't, I motherfucker. Called. You called me Indigo. I can't even believe you would have the audacity to call me by your other woman's name. Hey, well, look. And, uh, and I ain't no fool. Hey, wait, I do wait, know wait, you wait, have wait, another wait, wait, woman. Wait, look, look, look. Like, I ain't gone for this shit. Hey, what? Uh-uh. what is your name? Get off, Bleak. Bleak, how in the hell can you call me by her name? I am in your bed, Bleak. Indigo, not Clark. I'm Clark, not Indigo. I called you Clark. You can practice for eight hours straight and can spend a little bit of time it takes to learn the difference between me and your other woman. Listen to me, Bleak. I don't like it, I don't appreciate it, and I don't want to be disrespected by you. I've had it. And you say that you love me, Bleak? No, I never said that. Yeah, you did say that. More Better Blues, directed by, directed, written, produced <laughs> by Spike Lee, is a 1990 film, stars Denzel Washington, Wesley Snipes, Joali, um, is it Cindy? I think it's Cindy. Cinda. Cinda. Cinda Williams. Almost, almost right, Jacob. John Turturro for a second. Um, uh, a few other people. Giancarlo Esposito. And it's a story about uh, a talented but a uh, troubled jazz trumpeter that's played by Denzel Washington. His name is Bleak. Um, 
as he navigates the challenges of his musical career, his relationships, his personal and let's just say professional struggles, his obsessions and whatever. And uh, that's about the movie, let's just say. So keep short and, short and sweet. So in terms of background, I'm a, I'm, I'm going to just keep it sweet and short. Okay, so f- the film kind of came together almost um, as uh, Spike Lee was working on Do the Right Thing. Quickly completed the draft. He based some of the character of Bleak on his dad, who also did the music for the film, in 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 sort of collaboration with um, Branford Marsali's quartet, and where Terence Blanchard plays the trumpet, and Terence Blanchard is a guy who will then come back to do music for Spike Lee's movies quite a bit more. So. So there's that. So also, Ernest Dickerson did the cinematography. So Billy again I mentioned did the music. So it's it's all kind of a, a bunch of familiar faces. Um, the film took I want to say like three months to shoot. Um, a, a little sort of tidbit that's kind of interesting, I suppose, from let's just say the a two tidbits I might as well mention. Like the film was supposed to be titled "A Love Supreme" uh, after John Coltrane's album. Um, but apparently, uh, the um, I think his widow withdrew permission after she found out that there's going to be nudity in the film. Prude. Um, <laughs> so what can I say? But yeah, so and so they they then changed the the, the title to something something longer. Then oh, fucking hell, I can't remember now. But anyway, but then they shortened this to more better blues. Um, and another little tidbit was that it, it they kind of went full on method when it came to um, portrayal of music. Not so much that they taught Denzel and Wesley Snipes to play their instruments, although Giancarlo Esposito is a pianist. So I think he did his parts, or at least some of the parts that he did, he did himself. Uh, however, Blanchard, who's a trumpeter, and then Marsalis, who's a sax, uh, sax player, they taught Wesley Snipes and, and Denzel Washington to mimic what what the music would sound like without actually teaching how to play while the the music was provided by them so it's as close as you can get to being a method actor in there. but anyway we're gonna get to some 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 of the music i hope at some point so that's so that's that the movie was released in i want to say in, is it in may no august 1990 mixed to mixed to positive reviews so i think it's 70 something percent on rotten tomatoes um and then usually kind of uh, the 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 mix to positive the positive side of the mix to positive kind of slants towards praising denzel washington's performance who's let's just say at the well i think you're still riding the 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 sort of the wave of um i think post glory acclaim i think uh and he was just about getting there um you know his star was just about uh, showing up on the firmament of Hollywood. Now, that brings us to here and now. Let's just, let's, I promise, short and sweet. Jakob, focus. Boys, you tell me. Tell us all. What do you guys think about Mo Better Blues? And uh, let's just start with Carson. Carson, you tell us what you think about this movie first. How about that? 
Yeah, so I was excited to come on here. Um, over the past month, I've been watching a lot of old Spike Lee films, and especially this early period in his career, or career. I don't really, um, She's Gotta Have It didn't really do a lot for me, but other than that, a lot of this early section in his career, um, enthralled by school days. Crooklyn's a little after this, but that's my favorite Spike Lee film. I think that's like a masterpiece, so I was really excited um, to look at this little hidden gem, a lot of people would say, um, in this early part of the filmography that doesn't necessarily get a ton of attention. And I'll say I like it. I think I'm probably going to be in the middle from the temperature checks I've gotten from everyone else here on the call. Um, I think it's good. You start out with this strong look at obsession with music. What are you sacrificing for this career? Then uh, towards the end, it starts to ask, um, what do you do when that is ruined for you ultimately? Uh, but along the way, there is so much going on in this film. You have the friendship um, you have his friend's gambling issues. You have the relationship drama. You have so much happening. You have the business side of things and talking about contracts and talking about money and are they getting paid fairly that I think it doesn't necessarily have any statement or thesis that it truly feels like it hits the nail on the head. I don't think it's bad. I think Denzel especially is great. Not to sound just like cliched with your opening there um, as a Rotten Tomatoes critic, but like I I'm do think you. Denzel is fantastic <laughs> here. Um I don't know. The movie itself, it's just like, it's not bad. But when you compare this to Do the Right Thing, when you compare this to School Days, when you compare this to Crooklyn, when you compare this to so many of his really poignant features that hit for me, I can't say this is on that level. Um, I don't know. For me, I'm more in the middle than I think most people here will be. That's, I suppose that's fair. A fair opening statement. Take the temperature, I suppose, Carson. <laughs> It's just you know, like don't want to don't want to overcome it. It's like this is the best thing ever. It's like three out of four other people will be like, this is fuck yeah. shit. <laughs> you know me, I'm worried about you know having the same opinions and liking what everyone else does. So so you know exactly. You got me there. <laughs> Go back to the cats episode. You know me. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a while ago. But you know, go and listen. Like. I think right on, I want to say like minute 50, 59 minutes in, like Carson loses his mind. You know. <laughs> To the tune that almost like his microphone cuts out. <laughs> it's fucking cuts. It brought something out of me. I can't lie. It brought something out of me. Um, Passion, man. You're not Passion. wrong. It was fucking cuts. Uh, anyway. So, Jack, what do you think about cuts? Sorry. Mo better blues. <laughs> Don't tell me what you think about cuts. Let's not reopen no, this. No, Let's not reopen the wounds. <laughs> no, Kat, Kat. I want to still like you, Jack. Yeah. Just don't bring it up. Cats has, has his own category. On, on, on Clapper, where anything Cats mentioned, it goes into a separate character you can find, so leave it all there. Um, well, after... When, uh, when someone mentions Cats, like Carson <laughs> peers out and says, bonjour, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, after the, the... Having not seen much of Lee's beginnings, bar the big hits who do the right thing, and then Malcolm X, I, I don't watch anything for a while until the new stuff. So going back to, to with this podcast being really interesting and after a really good start for me, a, um, a middling sophomore, I was slightly apprehensive about going into this, knowing the run, running time and, and knowing it was, it was a slightly different type of maturity that school days was, but felt more akin to a, she, a, a, she's all that. So there's a lot I mean, to break down. Have it, right? Yeah, what did I suggest? That she's all that. She's all that. I get them all. I get mixed up. Sorry, she's got to have it. Or he got game. Said. I don't know. Not sure which <laughs> one you mean now. <laughs> uh, well, she's she's got to have it. Cook one. <laughs> yeah, but um, this was a surprise. This 
I don't want to get too much into it because we'll break it down in the podcast, but I think the first hour of this is maybe the best thing he's directed maybe maybe throughout. I think technical-wise, I think it's genuinely outstanding. Holy shit. I, really, I really do. The, the, the camera movement, the, the fluidity of everything, the editing, um, the, the sound design mixed in with the editing in itself, everything just seemed to work. Halfway through this film... It changes and it goes into a quite more mature, melodramatic but darker oriented uh, topic, which I think the film is always going to do. I don't think it comes out of left field. It's always a it's a, it's a conscious choice. But in that, I think the style slightly gets subdued and the substance comes out. And the more I've grown on this, because I know someone in this podcast watched this maybe a little bit earlier than than ever. Uh, well, earlier than this podcast itself. I watched this four or five days ago, and I'm really glad I did because the more I think about that, the more I think it's a fucking genius stroke to just slowly engage your audience and then take that away, subdue it, and bring your character out. I thought More Better Blues was outstanding. I'm going to be quite... There's a lot to talk about here because there's another film that comes out a year later where he starts to get quite difficult with certain other directors that we should mention. I'll leave that for later. But this comes at a point in his career where he doesn't stop after this until 1994. He makes one after the other after the other and takes a big breath after Malcolm X. He makes this, Jungle Fever, and then he makes Malcolm X. Three big films that talk about race interplayed um, in, in multiple different avenues. There's a lot to get off his chest. So I'm really excited to watch this in unison. But, but granted, I think it probably begins with Do the Right Thing a year earlier. Um, I'll say that. So there's four films where he just doesn't stop. I've only seen three of the four we've done. I'm, there's one that I'm really excited to he watch. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. In, in 1989 to 1990 yeah. to 1991 to 1992, yeah. he does not stop making a film. He does not stop the turnover. It's a constant oh, churning out. But then like, he takes a break for like, I don't want to say like a year or less. I've, I just, I've just said this. But no, I've just said like, this. Well, I thought you know, when you said, oh, he's taking a break. I'm just like, well, how, how long do you think it break? Is it just, oh no, it's just like it. Just skips a year, like Jesus. No, he he, he takes <laughs> a quite deal. a considerable amount for for, for, the, for a director who, from nineteen eighty eight until nineteen ninety two, makes five features. He doesn't stop. There's no. There's there's, there's just con- consecutive, consistent turnover to make these films, which is interesting about the subject matter we're going to talk about today about about masculinity and about black texture. I think it's really interesting, but it's only till Malcolm X he pauses and then he, he goes on a next step. I think these these bottles are really interesting to look at. Uh, these four we're going to do. I've, I hadn't seen this, and I hadn't seen Jungle Fever. I'd seen um, the other two. I'd seen Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. So this is really interesting to look at. But I think this is a director from the issues I had earlier. I think there's a lot here that he actually achieves going forward, and and doesn't make the same mistakes. I'll be very interested to to, to know what everyone else thinks when we get into this. But I thought technically this was this is genuinely outstanding. I think third time was a charm. And I don't know how many times we've done this on this podcast or Clappercast that someone makes three films, the first wave they do, where they're all incendiary to each other about personification, about an ideal, and relatively be quite well received, give and take, for a third film to get him to get his groove and not to sell out. That's his fourth. No, this is his... Th- oh, I, I don't count do the In right thing because you're doing it out of order, okay? So I'm getting it wrong, but yes... 
Just say. I, I mean, like, I, sorry. I, 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 sorry, I'll just, I'll just ruin your narrative. But, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just say, I'll just say this before you move on as well. So it's if, actually if, four in a row now. Yeah, exactly. But looking back on it, I'm so glad that it was the time that he was able to do that and, and have his voice. Because mm-hmm. I looked at these four runs and I'm like, oh, they, they get better and better. This was like, I could not believe how good this was. Mm-hmm. I think if this is made now, I don't think he makes this film. I think he makes a Marvel, Marvel movie. I, I'm really glad that we have this time, that, that he's, he's have no difficulty with the corporate machine. But this this was really impressive to me as a, as a, as a fourth film. Really impressive. Okay. Well played. Well Thank played. You. you almost got angry for a second in there. I did. I did. <laughs> I, so I don't know why. Like What's it's that? just like the emotions are running high. I'm oh, he's drunk. Okay, that's that makes, explains a lot. <laughs> just no libel. Just three. Time. Like Jack's slurring his speech. <laughs> I all, I, and I another all, thing. Yeah, I will say this. I only have one of them, and it's the bottle of wine. So I'm going steady on this. Otherwise, I'm not. I can't do the wine. <laughs> right, Randy, it's your take. All right. So I had seen this ages ago, but I. I admit to forgetting it. So when I saw it again this week, um, you know, it was, it was a nice experience. I got to say, and I agree with both what Carson and Jack said that this is really a, a beautiful and technically amazing film. Love the craft in here. I have a lot of trouble with this film because I find it boring. Uh-oh. I, I find it very, very boring. <laughs> And so I, I feel a little bit like Carson is just like, it's the story elements here that are sort of push me back. Like, is, is this a film? Is, is this a film about the blue scene? Is it a hangout film? Is it about the life of a musician? Is it about growing up in Brooklyn? Is it about intergenerational uh, relationships? Is it a love triangle? Like, yes, yes, yes. But then at the same time, no, no, like I'm not really pulled into any of these but with the three films that we've talked about of Spike Lee so far, uh, she's got to have it, the school days and this, I find it sort of the same thing that I go back to. It's, it's Lee's writing. And I feel what he wants to do is he wants to make a Hollywood picture, a certain type of Hollywood picture. So she's got to have it as a rom-com and school days is like the, the animal house type of thing. He wants to make a Hollywood type of picture with his community, for his community. And that's that's sort of what he wants to do. I think what he's trying to do here is uh, more or less make a film like Paris Blues, the Martin Ritt film. So, something like that, I think, is, is what he's after. And now the strength of Spike Lee as a writer is that in engaging his community and using his community in his stories, sometimes these narratives just jump out that you just, you can't ignore how special this is. Like, like I know Jacob and Jack didn't really like school days as much as I did, but I really liked some of what came out of school days, these conversations about, uh, you know, the community and the education community for, for black folks and um, black students who were experiencing university life for the first generation ever. So sometimes these, these elements just sort of, just sort of seep out of Spike Lee's pores. The pores of his writing are just sort of oozing this really textured, interesting uh, narrative. I don't feel that here. I feel that I'm I'm just sort of on a path with this character. I'm not engaged with Denzel Washington. I do not feel, you know, his being a dog. You're such a dog. It's a D-I-C-K thing. I, I don't really care about this 
sort of crass love triangle. I, I don't. Um, I'm not, this isn't my style of music at all. So I do find some of the, the music a bit of a chore to go through. Randy, you're uh, on to like black metal from Finland. <laughs> yes. Dima yeah. Borgir. Yeah, well, uh, lordy. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, never no, mind. And, yeah, so, <laughs> lordy's the only one I know. So, anyway, this isn't really my my scene, but, but even still, I'm not pulled into these characters. I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this character arc. Does Bleak learn anything, learn anything at the end? I don't think so. I think you've just got this nice book ending of scenes. So I, I get it structurally, but I don't really, it doesn't really work for me sort of on the character level. So I feel on the outside of a lot of this, yet at the same time, it's, it's a gorgeous looking film, absolutely luscious use of color and, you know, the, the sound and the moving camera, like this is a beautiful, beautiful film. I, arguably one of the best looking films of, you know, the, the five, 10 years that surround it. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Uh, just use of color, cinematography, Ernest Dickerson, beautiful cinematography in this. So I have a lot that I appreciate here, but but these themes, that they just don't sort of come out of, of the script because I think he's doing something similar in just sort of following the structure of another film uh, that, that he likes. And that's what I see here. And I don't really engage with this one as well as um, she's got to have it her school day. So that's where I am. You know, I'm... I'm, I'm open to be convinced otherwise, but I just, I, I don't feel it with the character and that's a big problem for me. So I'll leave it at that and we'll sort of divulge further. Jakob, what, what about you? Well, I actually quite loved it, I'd say. It also was, let's just say, a, a, one of the blind spots for me. So again, I, men- I mentioned this al- already in sort of the opening episode of this whole marathon that like a lot of Spike Lee's stuff is a blind spot for me, specifically the smaller stuff. Um, so I came to this movie with a, let's just say a blank check. Like I don't, I didn't quite know what to expect. Um, and, uh, I mean, on the, on the previous two occasions, I think like myself mnemonic for, for this, or the, I don't want to call it a heuristic, but let's just say that the, the running theme would be these movies are better conversations than movies. Right. But on this occasion, like the more I think about it, and actually I'm quite fresh with this because I watched it this morning, is that the movie itself, I think is, uh, yeah, like I, I sat down to watch this kind of the way I, I promised I would, I, I would watch, like a, like I'm watching a Kurosawa film. So like, it's not it's not a piece of entertainment I'm engaging with. I'm, I'm trying to kind of get something out of this because I feel like Spike Lee is doing stuff um, with the camera and with his writing that demands more attention than your just random piece of schlocky entertainment. So I sat down with, you know, with my, with my radar on. So, and all my instruments tuned correctly so that I would hope, hoping I would get as much as possible out of this experience. And, um, I think the, the more I think about it, the more ingenious this movie is to me because it's visually accomplished. That's first and foremost. And mm-hmm. you can see that you know, there are certain moves that the camera makes, that, the, that Spike Lee makes decisions, directorial decisions that to me, um, you'd think, oh, that's an interesting 
thing to do. Is this a, an accident? No, it's not. He's doing this on purpose, right? Like there are these moves that make you make this movie look like a 50s musical, but the movie is not a 50s musical. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it's a question, right? But it's a movie about music. Um, but it's staged in a very specific way. So you know, on some occasions where it's highly stylized, very heightened, like it makes you makes you makes you feel like you're in a technical or musical from the 50s. And then you come out of the technical or musical and you're in some kind of like an 80s dreamscape, you know? Um and then he and he commits to some some moves that then become his signatures as well, visually speaking. And at the same time, he's not necessarily, I think, I, I think he's not necessarily focusing on a conversation he'd like to have on uh like while trying to tell me a story like in school days he's definitely interested in advancing a political message and then he's using the story as a conduit as a vehicle and here i think he's almost interested in the story and the character as much as he is in the in the message and i think this may be why certain things don't necessarily jive for some people in here, but I really enjoy that. And and maybe this is this is me just like agreeing with the Rotten Tomatoes consensus because I think a lot of the heavy lifting in here is done by Dental Washington, Washington mm-hmm. who's just effortless. He's just such a cool presence. I mean, Wesley Snipes isn't too far behind him either. I think this movie is thoroughly ever elevated by by its central performances i think spike lee's writing just in general in terms of writing dialogue either it's the most on point he's been i mean i, have, I still have to refresh the do the right thing because we're doing this out of order for some reason mm-hmm. uh, i mean for reasons of scheduling right but I think this is kind of where either his writing is on point or he's allowing his actors to improv a little bit because certain scenes specifically like the dressing room feel yeah, natural. Ooh. They feel very Altman uh, is was my thought in some of those. Yeah, oh, oh, brilliant, yeah. Yeah, they're very sort of um yeah, very organic. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. that's, that's the word I want. Sometimes you can you can feel that there is the written spike leash in there which it has its, let's just say, has its charm. Uh, and I would say, like, if there's one demerit to the film, and this is not necessary, and this, co- this way, co- this will come back, is that, you know, like, Spike Lee's decided to put himself in movies, right? Because, I mean, he started with She's, she's Gotta Have It because he didn't have an actor, right? But now he's actively putting himself in movies. And I think we've already commented on this. Like, he's not the best. <laughs> I don't mind him. I still don't mind him. <laughs> but but then like I'm but then like I don't mind him. But then in here, like when you put him next to Denzel Washington, who's just again effortless. He's just naturally charismatic and funny and easygoing and very, you know, like he just lets lets shit happen. And when you put him against Spike Lee, who's you know it, always in the snow. Oh please, baby, baby, please, baby, please, sort of mode. It's, it just looks weird. <laughs> so that's kind of my take. I really like this film. I think it's just just a just just a notch below really really perfection for me when it comes to Spike Lee. I'd say, but I the more I think about it, 
the more intrigued I am by the possibilities of where you could kind of drive a conversation about this film could could be. So let's just dig into this. And then maybe a good good idea would be to kind of start with just, let's just dig into why Randy hates it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but then there's, there's a, I think, or maybe it's just easier to kind of just, because all these movies are conversations because Spike Lee doesn't make movies just because, I mean, unless it's old boy, in which case, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll but, get there. Um, but most of his movies, specifically early stuff, is extremely politically charged, so he has stuff to say. Um, what do you guys think about the the sort of the, the main thematic motif, which I think is jazz, is is something that he d- deeply cares about, and then what whether there's something political or societal that he wants to tell us, and what do you think it is, and what what whether you think he's doing a good job with it, or whether he's whether the story overshadows it a little bit, or maybe it's working in its service. I'll start. Yours. I'll start here because I, I I can give you a, um, a slow ball here. It's weird that me and you actually agree on from what we've seen so far. We we might disagree in the next few weeks. I think me and you are, are, are probably on par with that, exactly how we feel about these films. In the same, I think you you spoke exactly how I felt about better um, eloquently anyway about how I thought about these were more so answers to pantheon questions within genres and then you, you further stated that with, with with the actual comments about the the, the better films to talk about uh, in in hindsight which which I think is, is probably more akin to most of his work the thesis I get here is not necessarily an overly political one I get a more internal I think with with the with 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 the first two we did, I think he's trying to answer quite broad questions in terms of cultural issues, societal issues, and then ultimately the political thing comes in in a secondhand sweep after those those things are trying to be answered. But I think for the most part he succeeded by allowing those questions to be answered through time and also by the spectator to bring a, a slight bit of um, interest within within the narrative. I don't I do the right thing is it personifies that it gets it both right just 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 perfect in how he demonstrates having a conversation and then bringing his audience into wanting to, to, to debate that and answer that themselves. This, I don't think he's got any interest in actually bringing up a social issue. I think these are byproducts by the central aspect of, number one, his father is a jazz musician. He's, 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 he personifies and authorises quite a lot of his work uh, within his dynamics. With, I mean, his sister's in this film. His, his, his father was in... Um, um, she's got to have it, so on and so forth. I think that is, and also you'll also do this in Crooklyn when we get there as well, which is more sort of biographical. But th- this one is taking inspirations from a cultural, societal aspect, but also um, the aspect of his of his family endeavors. That's where I think the political thing comes in because the jazz and the black man on cinema. I think that's just a byproduct conversation. I don't think he's co- what he's he's actively trying to talk about that. I think consciously these men making money. Of, of of the blues and jazz um, of a cultural thing, I think is 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 undoubtedly a conscious aspect of him wanting to bring it up, but it's not the thesis. I think simple as simple gets here. The thesis is you don't know what you've got until it's gone. It, it, it's it's simple. I think this is him simplifying substance. And I think perhaps that's why other people maybe want to see this film after after as a also a palate cleanser after what we in 1989 would do the right thing. But I thought this was wonderfully balanced in. Personifying issues that he felt with it within within a social demographic about about having something and just trying to use it, use it, use it, use it, use it, push everything to the side 
in order to maximise what you were good at. I think that echoes the sentiments with the cinema, the next four or five films that I mentioned earlier about what he would go on to do and then taking a big pause and then going a very much darker political path. I think it's probably a, a response from political social issues at contemporary at the time. Um, but I, I, I would, I, I, you probably would disagree with me, but I, I think overall, I think the politics come second and I think the characters come first. Now, the one thing I will say just before I move on, Randy made a, made a comment about him, um, Spike Lee and the musical. And as slowly as this progresses, it is so obvious that he's enamoured with that genre. He, he, he must love that. And I think it comes out here. There's technical here in aspects of, as, of, of, um, mm-hmm. as, of, of costume design, which is a staple of his craft anyway. But this one was – it's difficult to – I find here, right, just to sum this up in more better blues about this politics thing is that there's, a, there's probably a time where he, he goes quite commercial, right? But I think even when he's got the opportunity to, to make a more subdued internal film about characters, I think he doesn't sell out in that fact of trying to get his pers- uh, personality in here so much. I think he really sort of relents knowing that he's working with Denzel Washington and probably one-on-one he's, th- he's thought, this guy gets me. Like, he can- like he's rattling this dialogue off, like he's charming. He's everything that, that like the, the, the character of, I want to see my, I don't know, Jimmy Stewart, I want to see my Cary Grant. That's, that's going to be mm-hmm. my generation's Denzel Washington. And I think he just lets loose by allowing everything around him to grow and evolve in its own time. I mean, that's why I like this, because it is Spike Lee, but not so much the personification of Spike Lee, if that makes any sense. He takes a backseat as a supporting character. I think he's quite compelling, but he allows the craft now to speak for it because he's learned, he's grown, he's got the success with Do the Right Thing and, and the commercial success before it. That's a critical set before it, and just allows evolution and growth. So I think this is a combination of everything coming together just at the right time, as a palate cleanser and as an evolution. I think it's pretty good at nailing everything there. Yeah, I'll just add uh, one thing because I I sort of agree, but I, I think that the politics is sort of inherent in most of Spike Lee's choices. I'm going to say at least early on, and. And it's great, but I, but I think his goal here is to tell his story and he wants to make his type of film. But what he really, the type of story he really wants to tell, um, you know, in addition to, well, this is my Paris Blues or this is a rom-com or whatever. In addition to that, he wants to showcase hardworking uh, men of color, the middle-aged uh, men of color and women of color. And he, he wants to show the type of family unit that he grew up around. So he like, and... I think those are just the stories that he wants to tell. So like he's, he's sort of drilled on down on, you know, the type of story that, you know, Mo Better Blues is, and, you know, the characters are doing this, but I, I think inherently it's, it's sort of political in a way, even if it's sort of a byproduct, like what Jack is saying, it's a byproduct uh, to the film because he's writing about a group of people who are underrepresented. So it's sort of political just because. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I just add something very quickly, not, not to respond to that? The one thing we, we, a lot of us have, have not necessarily missed, but it, it's sort of obvious, is that within the context of releasing Do the Right Thing, this being being the, 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 the film that, that releases after, everybody's going to watch this. He knows that there's going to be a mammoth of eyes wanting to know what he, got, he does next. I think it's quite brave of him not to make a Do the Right Thing too, to, to try echo and, and trying to mm-hmm. grasp that. I think him taking it back and making a semi-autobiographical, or at least 
a personal investment in, in this in this story about maybe how he perceives his father, him, him on him. He's as jazz as a template, although it's probably about filmmaking. Um, uh, I think it's it's sort of a genius idea to to showcase to people that I'm not I'm not a one trick pony. And I think in the context of things, it would probably have been a bit more of an anticlimactic um, uh, result of, of do the right thing in one way. But I mm-hmm. think it actually is more beneficial for that because he, he's, he's understanding to like, I, I, I now know there's eyes on me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the more internal, more emotive, more, um, I don't know, uh, engaging uh, a tale of, 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 of a character that race is not necessarily a conversation there. But I want it to be a byproduct of it. I mean, granted, I think he's, he's, he's like you said, his politics are going to be inherently um, intertwined with his DNA as well. I think he's, he's always going to personify a form of politics. Um, I think from where, where he lives, where he's from, how he sounds, the colour of his skin, I think there's always going to be that. But this isn't a film I think personifies that to a greater deal as, as its predecessor did. I think this is him acknowledging that I just want to make a smaller film, and this is a spitefully small film, you know, ten minutes longer. <laughs> but I, again, I, I think it's more character driven here. As, as a, as a, I, I would agree with you, and, and, and I think we're both saying the same thing, Randy. I think I'm just coming from a different angle, really. And I feel like you're probably correct, Jack. I mean, I find it hard to argue against much of what you said. I think, especially with the technical work and really trying to showcase his um, ability as a filmmaker, I agree. I mean, this is stunning, not just to echo what everyone else has said. I just kind of struggle with like. I get I agree that it's more character focused but then like I just feel like there's so much that he is trying to build in terms of co- politics and um conflict within the film like I don't I, I I struggle to like have that read and then I think about what I watched entirely the entire filmography or um, runtime of the feature and I just like I don't know it, it doesn't hit in the same way I wish that in the, the term of this filmography this was released or replaced with Crooklyn because I think mm-hmm. that would like perfectly cement what you are saying. And I see that trajectory. I think there is something here to be said about his father. I think that is good. I think there's obviously a personal statement within being an artist and trying to find the balance and putting everything into your work. You mentioned the work ethic. He's releasing feature after feature, giving his all, you know, to these projects as he's rising up the ranks. I just, I, I just don't feel like it comes together for me. I really am struggling with that. I don't know why, though. Um, question, quickly, just a quick question, just to add to the pot. So before before I, I don't know, I, I say my piece because I don't even know what I'm going to say. But do you oh, think God. this movie could be autobiographical too? Like, and not, not necessarily, because like yes. you mentioned that, you know, like, oh, it's, his father is a musician, so he's, so this could be a piece. But do you think, would you see Denzel Washington, like, would you see Spike Lee seeing himself in Denzel Washington? Yes, in the same way I would say, like, Christopher Nolan sees himself in Oppenheimer, right? Like, I think that when you have a film like this, it's easy to project yourself onto the main character absolutely like that. Mm-hmm. I'd further that, and I'd, I'd, I'd say that I think he's looking at generational trauma. I think he's looking at um, the fact of, of of seeing his father probably wanting to be who he wanted to be, seeing he, what, what he was labelled as, as to be, the same in, in his, his context about what he's going to do with his life, if he's got something. Go with it. Make it the best you can do. But I also have to say this as well. Look, there's a. It's interesting that Carson brings up Crooklyn, and I've also done that. There's there's also a massive context here about that after do the right thing, which is a, ma- a mammoth of political uh, commentary. He makes this, and then what does he do after Malcolm X? He makes Crooklyn, two eerily similar films mm-hmm. about political, um, social, 
commentary on, on uh, with, with 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 black skin, black people in America, and then he, he he takes a leap after that, after two massively commercial critical successes, and takes a step back to a, a year or so later with each one, and makes a semi auto semi autobiographical. I got there. It's the Guinness um, films. <laughs> what what I'm merely related to his family, more so Crooklyn. And is trying to deconstruct how that family survives, how how those how those characters intertwine. T- to me, this is the safe zone. I find it interesting that he, he feels he would have had to have done that again with Brooklyn. That would then, to me, make a, a slight comment that he didn't think he got this completely right. Which I think is I've not have not seen Brooklyn. I've got the context of it, but I thought how this dealt with trauma about what perception of you is about who is there to profit off you. We'll get to that. And also the surrounding people who uh, that, that you're meant to be your friends and and what you, what you'll go against that for for, for profit. I mean, he, I mean, and granted, in this context of these films, he's brought people with him. He's brought them through. There's a mass amount of school days actors, Giancarlo Esposito, um, do the right thing, and and, and and school days. There are actors here and actresses that come back, come back, and come back. I mean. Uh, Halle Berry was meant to be in this. She's in Jungle Fever. Like there, there is a connective tissue that he has, that he brings people back and he brings them up and he brings them up and brings them up and brings them up. He puts them on pedestals with him. He carries them up, up the ladder. So it's interesting that there's a commentary on this film where this central character is more than enough to, to sort of disenfranchise himself and lose it. Maybe that says more about Lee himself. Um, I don't really see the connections with, with the autobi- autobiographical nature of Lee himself in Denzel Washington character. I think he sees him. I think he uses that as a, a sentiment for a, a social thing, rather than a p- personal thing. Because I, I don't see where those overlap. But you might you might say it's uh, different, Jacob. Well, I mean, the reason I asked is because in one particular scene, he writes a line for Denzel Washington where he says, um, "Like Denzel Washington speaks to Wesley Snipes, so he speak like Bleak speaks to Shadow, right? And he goes like, where are the people? You know, why aren't people?'" Are people coming to listen to my voice? He says, not our music, not my, my voice. He says, my voice is what mm-hmm. sells. You know, so I'm thinking, like, does he see himself in this? As in, like, is is this his frustration that he'd like to, like, cut through to the um, the Black American society, right? As in, like, I'm speaking to you. Why are you not showing up, right? In a, res- like, in a response to what, though, Jakub? I don't know. I'm just. I'm wondering. Like, is this, uh, or does he want more? Does he? Because I, I suppose his. Mo- I think his. We may think again. Like this is me trying to project because these movies are from like the 80s and 90s. Like I was a child in in that in that time. I was, you know, like you know, just few short years after just making making a full day without shitting myself an achievement. You know. Just, just saying, okay. Nineteen it took you a long time to get ready. Nineteen yeah. yeah. nineties. That also happens at, in older age. Six. Yeah, yeah. There's a window of not shitting yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just still in that window. We'll let you that know? one slide because I think we can pick and choose at that. But we'll let that one slide. But you know what I'll say is, um, I c- I'm wondering whether this is something that we're projecting because we look at Spike Lee as the guy, as in he he comes not only with an ego, but with a reputation and a legacy already. But at that time, he's still a young guy who's just coming through and he's a very angry young filmmaker who's becoming, uh, he's making a name for himself, right? So if I, if I, if I push your theory to you then, 
what would this, what would, if this gives you a bit more um, juice to this, what if I said that perhaps that is a response to um, the audience that do the right thing was, was found by a predominantly white critical success and commercial success at the Academy Awards. That's, and obviously. that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, is, are, you, are, you, are you trying to suggest that, that the people he wanted to go watch and also to, to be educated was his, his, his own cultural community? If, 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 that, if that's... Like, I think... The, the, I, I agree with you. The, the autobiographical reading I would maybe be willing to apply to it would be... like the, It's kind of the, the, sim, the simile would be to the jazz musician. People don't walk off the street to go to a jazz club. People who like that kind of music go, right? People mm-hmm. don't just go and say, like, ah, let me see who's playing in the local jazz. No, like you have to like that kind of music first, right? Like people don't just like randomly turn up. It's like, ah, actually this guy on this little wind instrument, it's kind of nice. Like, no, no. Like people who go to listen to that kind of shit are into music. They will not only are into music, they actually know their stuff. Yeah. Like this is a, like there are no accidents in there. Maybe one or two dates will be just like, oh, you know, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or, you know, like just brought me here, but it's kind of nice in here. But there's always someone who's kind of just going to lead you, lead you into this world, right? So I feel like the the audience in here are kind of like critics. And Denzel Washington is kind of like Spike Lee, as in like this guy's just really doing cool shit that only people who are in the know kind of get. And then he'd like to speak to the common man. Like to the to the to everyone, and it's just like, why are they not listening? Like I have so much shit to say, and no one get gets me because you're speaking with this artistic language, right? Meanwhile, Shadow goes and says, "Passenger fifty seven himself, Blade." You know, <laughs> he keeps telling you, just like I'm gonna cut through to more people, and at the end he, because there, I think. I want to. This is this is me. This is me just like applying like my stupid like. This is Jacob reading into shit again, right? Because Denzel Washington refuses to give one of his girlfriends, uh, Clark, I think that's Clark, uh, a place on the band to to mm-hmm. sing. Yeah. So his band is full on instrumental quintet, right? Just sax, trumpet, piano, bass, drums, whatever. Full on jazz thing. Add a singer to it. You, you actually increase your, you know, like you, you all, of, all of a sudden, like you have a song. So, you know, like someone, like it's, it's yeah. more accessible. I, I think you're right in, in, in your take on this conversation. I think that uh, Spike Lee can completely put himself in these shoes. And, and I get that. I know that, you know, years ago when I was directing theater projects, just local theater projects, I was thinking, okay, there's certain people I would expect to show up where are my family and friends and where are some other, you know, people, acquaintances, like in particular, where are my people? And very few of them would show up, but there are folks from the theater scene who are there for every production because it's their thing. So I, I think, and this is probably a good point in Spike Lee's career after the success of do the right thing. Well, why aren't people showing up? Like that was a, that was a critical hit. And it it made it was very profitable, but it was not one of the top twenty money making films of the year. So I think he is probably having that conversation. You know, like why aren't people coming out to support this? Why aren't you know why isn't the average Joe coming out? Why isn't the average Joe in my own community coming out? Why are, why aren't my cousins there? You know, like he probably I'm, so, like I'm wondering like is he looking at someone like was it was Steve Soderbergh's. Um, Sex Lies in Videotape, that same year as Do the Right Thing, probably. Yes. 
Like, what is, uh, is he asking himself the question of, look, people showed up for Blood Simple. People showed up for, uh, for, for Soderbergh. People show up for all these people. And I'm wondering whether he also just think, is it because they're white? I don't know. Uh, is, this is, this, is this because critics are white? Is, does he see this sort of, like, does, does he let his anger get the better of him? I'm not sure. But right. I'm wondering whether he's, so. he like, sees himself in that sort of picture. I know? have an answer here. I'm not sure I'm seeing the vision oh. here with, like, do the right things particularly. I mean, maybe if, unless there's, like, something referencing specifically that I don't no, know about, which is t- very possible. But, like, that film did get, like, pretty decent critical reception, did get pretty good box office. I don't know if the narrative is there directly to where I've seen anything to suggest that he was angry with that opening or whatnot. Um to like suggest like I'm, I'm just guessing like in no I, I, have, I have an answer here sure. I have an answer like here most yeah, critics are white right in America yeah but they like the film yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> but then like, this is I think some, this is grief and we, do, we right? do know the critics pissed him off of it because they said that it was dangerous to be seen because the black people might start a riot because they could not control themselves during the screening and he's mentioned recently that that still pisses him off <laughs> but like I don't know that's quite yeah. I actually uh, have a reason for this and it's twofold the first one, right, is a is a is a is a response to driving Miss Daisy winning the Academy Award um, against do, do the right thing. That's number one. The second thing, and not when, not many people talk about this, but he brings this up himself a few years later in two thousand and eight, when Mister Clint Eastwood makes Flags of Our Fathers and Iodua, he made Miracle Saint Anna, which about which is about black. I've done, I've done a feature on this on Clapper about black um, soldiers going to Italy fighting a war that America wasn't interested in them fighting, mm-hmm. although they died for the flag. He's also responding to a film in 1990 that Clint Eastwood made and directed that nobody talks about called Bird, which is a film about Charlie Bird, the trumpet player. Um, you mean Charlie Parker? No, no, it's Bird. It's, um, oh, God. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's 1990, I know that, because I was going to watch it for this, but it's, it's two and a half hours. No? Hold on. No, it's Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Okay. He made it in 1990, uh, 1998, uh, 161 minutes. It's about Charlie Parker. Sorry, Charlie, yeah, Charlie Bird Parker. Parker. His, his nickname was Bird. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, I got that, got that mixed up. It's not Larry um, Bird. No, not Larry Bird. <laughs> we'll get, well, he might, he might have a comment about that. But Clint Eastwood takes... Also, Clint Eastwood is someone who's interested in jazz. He, he, he scores his own films. His son scores his films. It's a family very much interested in jazz. But I think Spike Lee looks at that and, and thinks to himself, I'm trying to make a film. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give him the permission to quote the actual title of this. The family wouldn't do that. He, he, had, to, he had to call this More Better Blues <clears throat> because the family would not sign off. on allowing him the to, tits on screen, apparently. Well, but the choice is, is that I think he takes quite considerable, and I think he's pretty... I've had to grow with this a lot in my life to look at Spike Lee and look at Clint Eastwood and you have to see them from two very distinctive backgrounds, two very distinctive types of behaviour and, and, and film. That's not an understatement. But I think the more you grow up and the more you realise, I can understand why Spike Lee would take quite a considerable amount of, um, not jealousy, but point of um, point of infliction with, with Bird. Because I think he sees that as a white man coming in to tell what should be a black story to educate the masses of not only the, uh, the the social climate within America, but also the cultural climate of Black America, to educate um, young up and coming musicians or just kids to get away from one thing, which might be d- drugs and violence. I'm not going to stereotype anything here, and get away from that, and get away from communities, and to find find um, uh, solace in arts, 
like like, like he did. If I, if I'm if I'm cinema went to went to university, educated, just wants to. He probably I think he wants to see because he has a he has a. We'll get into it very much later in about in the next hundred and seventy hours. He has also an issue with Tyler Perry about that, about this as well. But I think he looks at Clint Eastwood and says, "Why are you allowed to pick that and you get that shown in, in Oscar nominated places? Why aren't why why can't I make a film like that?" And more better blues is not only a response to that um, on a literal thing, but I also think it's a social response as well. In that he's not going to show his his character um, get get devoid by drugs, but get devoid by issues of of a stereotypical nature within that community. Well, in 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 some okay, well, let's just to clarify that the jazz community was very fond of cocaine. And Let's drink. Just be honest, right? Yes, oh yeah, of course, yeah. And and the sex, drugs, and rock and roll just replaced rock and roll with jazz. Same, right? But we, we had this chat a few so, weeks so ago. So he kind of just truncated this because he wanted the Coltrane estate to give him the the rights to the title. No, no, That's no. Kind I, of so he was that, like he kind of okay, yeah, he wanted no, to, no, maybe no. out of respect to his dad or something. But his dad would have would have probably told him like the the drugs we took, fuck you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's that's partly a response. That's partly a response to get to get the rights. But I also think he's very much a conscious director, and he's made two pantheon attempts to to look at um, two typical types of the romantic comedy and the um, the the know, schoolhouse comedy, like the Porky's Animal House for school days. He's made pantheon attempts to to put his films within that type of genre with with black texture, black skin, black voice. I think this is just yet another one. He's not going to. He's consciously not going to showcase outs for anyone to use a racial stereotype, or if not a stereotype, to bring his what he sees his culture down. And one in here is that with within school school days, within reason, but also um, she's got to have it. He has a very interesting choice of when he wants to use the N word, and we talked about this on she's got to have it. Mm-hmm. Is that there's conscious decisions here to make sure a culture is looked at proper in what his eyes into into an affectionate nature of that it's not used in a scapegoat um semi for politicalized aspect now, i'm not saying bird does that i've not seen it but i do think spike lee then and just has to be that- clear clear bird is like eastwood's biggest flop yeah. yeah 161 minutes but i think i think he takes because he because he also then fights back in 2008 about that as well um and it's and it's interesting because uh, there's also, well, we'll get into it a bit later because there's something to do with the can board as well, which he was on, but we'll get to that later, I believe. But I think it's just a more sort of response of why I'm trying to make these stories. Why is then someone else coming into a community? I think he starts getting very political in a social construct rather than film. Because what we've seen so far is he uses his film, like you said, as a conduit to have this political um, ideology or at least have the conversation. I think when this film starts... I would maybe I'll go back to eighty nine, or maybe I'll go back a little bit, bit, bit more. But I think he then becomes quite socially conscious in being political within within in a verbal stance away from cinema, because these are all speak for him. I have to do the right thing. He knows he's got a voice. He knows consciously if he does anything, it will be picked up. He he has he has a voice to have have a conversation on, and I think that's when the films start to change. I think mm-hmm. he becomes very conscious about social political activities. I think this is the last one we'll see where it's. Where I dare to say it's actually quite placid on racial dynamics, although it's consciously I don't think it's there. Placid at all. Well, I mean, it's, I, I get it's, it's very it's it's very intellectual, but it's very angry. 
that that's what I'm saying. I agree with that. I'm saying it's placid, but it's still it's not without a voice, a very conscious, heightened voice about having detailed aspects of not having this in it and having that in it. You know, like he's not I, angry enough yet to put like like stock footage for or not stock footage, but archival for, footage from like that time when a guy like ran people over in Black Klansman. Like he's not angry enough to end a film with with just just by putting a fine point on it, you know? I, th- I think he would probably just respond to that and say, well, that's that's the that's the political current times that we're living. I don't think he's necessarily an angry man. I think he's just a response to that. I think that, that again, we're getting... Sure he's angry. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't see him as an angry... I, I see him as... I don't even... I, I've, I've evolved with this. I don't even see him as bitter. I see him as, honestly, I'm going to come and say, why is that film getting made and I can't make my film? I, I this, is, this is my culture. I can understand that. I mean, granted, if, if, if Bird was a massive success... He probably wouldn't have a leg to stand on, but it wasn't. Yeah, to me, I don't see it as an anger either. So I'd, I'd be curious just to hear you, Jacob, articulate what you mean by the anger, or if anger is a spectrum so, where, where he he is on it. Right. So first of all, Bird maybe. I mean, I, I see your example because it's just about coming like, okay, Bird did the right thing, and now this, right? So it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. But I think Driving Miss Daisy is probably a better one because that that shit wins at the Oscars, right? And there's one before it, the color purple. Like, why can't, like, why don't people, I, I think, well, let's just say School Days is a film that I, I, I suppose critics liked, some at least, and Roger Ebert loved it, I think, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, right? Yeah, um, But yeah, audiences didn't turn out. Spielberg makes the color purple. It makes $100 million in 1985. That's a lot of million dollars. Just, just very quickly there, so, don't yeah. forget the, the, um, the Cotton Club year before by Coppola, massive bomb. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then you can see, I, I could see that there's, I think this 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 movie has elements, although it's not like, look, School Days is very overtly political. I mean, it like it's it's putting political conversations into people's mouths, you know, when you have, Lawrence Fishburne talking to Sam Jackson outside the uh, KFC. It's a political conversation that the filmmaker wants to have with the audience, epitomized in between two characters. And here is trying. I think he's trying to have it a little bit more subtle, um, but it's here. And I think there's. I think it's quite fun because, like, I just in anticipation, not necessarily knowing that this would fit, I rewatched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And in Marini's Black Bottom, that was a play by August, August Wilson. Um, was released in, I think, premiered in 1984 or 5. So, if, so when Spike Lee was already active. Pretty sure he saw, saw that. Why wouldn't he? Right? Because August Wilson was was a massive voice in like black American theater. Right? Massive. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so, and that play is a, a very... Uh, let's, it's a play of, that's angry the way Spike Lee's early movies are angry. Like, she's got to have it. It's about the sort of the, the feminism and racism and whatever. So he p- puts sort of ang- these angry lines directly into people's mouths so that no one would not get the message, you know? It's about cultural appropriation, about the idea of, like, you know, like we all enjoy, uh, all enjoy rock and roll and pop, and it all comes back to jazz and bebop and blues, and it's all coming to black music. Music of people who've uh, who have been slaves, you know. This is this is this is the the music that just dates back all the way to the eighteen hundreds to these to tired people after working on these fucking plantations, singing their woes, 
and that evolves into into the Beatles now, you know, like if, essentially, like you, you can trace it all the way back to there, you know, and he says like, and, and he sees this, like, like there are these, well, this is a separate conversation. You have John Turturro and Nick Turturro right in here. Well, we should get, we should get there later. So, I think. But yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's there for a reason, right? Of course. Like, yeah, yeah. These white guys mm-hmm. are making money off of our shit. You know, mm-hmm. why? Just to, res- right? just to respond, and that's as well. that's in Marini's Black Bottom, right? Yeah. That's 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 Marini's Black Bottom's entire thesis, almost, right? Um, but then, I don't. God, sorry, please. Hold sorry. on. Just, I think he has this conversation in here, which is a little bit more subtle because he wants. He has. I have, he has shit to say. He wants people to wake, wake up. School days, wake the fuck up. But no one's like people who need to wake up are not in there. To listen to this because the critics are in there the academy now has his attention but the but the common folk who would be probably who he would love to speak to they don't know he exists and i think this is the, the frustration is baked into here very subtly but it's here because he wants to give you art he he's he's the denzel washington doing solo on a trumpet if you're not into jazz you're probably not going to pick out the De- terence blanchard's trumpet music it's fucking amazing right but but you have to be attuned to this. A guy off the street, yours, Tom, Dick, and Harry, are not go- are, are going to say, "What is this noise? This is jazz." Ah, go away. They'll go and watch the color purple and driving Miss Daisy. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? You know, he's angry. I think this movie. This movie is a very, very subtle piece of this. Uh, well, a celebration of his music because he uh, appreciates this. Jazz is black music, and this. No question about it. This 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 whole community, this the whole idea of jazz music comes back way back to the to the, to the roots of um, of Black America, and it's extremely rich history, right? No questions here, right? And he wants this to be recognized, and I think at the same time, in Denzel Washington's character, he'd like to be this voice. He'd like to have stuff to say so that people would listen, but no one is because he commits too much to. To the, to the art side of things, he doesn't want to sell this to people. So he doesn't want to give Clark um, a, a, a place on the, on the bandstand so she would sing because they'll make it way more accessible. And Shadow does it in, in the later scene, like towards the end. There's plenty of people in the club. Loads. Loads of people from all walks of life, whatever. He plays in this massive hotel, right? I mean, the, the scene kind of just gets twisted into something else because it's, uh, it's about something else entirely, but it's there. This... And I think this whole film is basically has this message baked into it that you can almost miss because there's other things to look at as well. But I think it, this is why I'm just like, the more I think about it, the more I think Mo Better Blues is an extremely accomplished piece of filmmaking. And now, now I might have to go on Letterboxd and change my rating. So, <laughs> I so like that you for, said. For me, I, I think he's missing it. About this. What? <laughs> Sorry, Carson, go, go ahead. I just I like how you said that scene is about this, but then it's actually about something completely different. So just to clarify, though, are you saying that this is about jazz and the role that jazz plays within like um, black culture and black history? Are you saying it's about Spike Lee as a director making that statement? Like, what are you 
I guess trying to say this film is about because I noticed like you've said like it's about four different things because it is Jack has a thesis about what this means as far as Spike Lee and comparing to Crooklyn there's also the father element yeah like this is what I'm saying where you can have these and like that read is fine but then what does that read have to say for the bookends of this film with the child practicing trumpet what does this have to say about like the relationship drama that we've not even discussed at all yet in this like this film has what's the main thing elements and pieces yeah but what is the actual I I don't think what is the thesis I don't think there's one. <laughs> yeah. I think this this whole piece is a collage, and then if you if you focus on certain things, you get you you. you I mean, I can think about this now for five minutes, and you, you could have a conversation about jazz, about how filmmaking is jazz, how Denzel Washington Spike Lee, and how he sees his legacy, how how he sees his his troubles, travails of trying to kind of speak to a community that doesn't necessarily understand or is not equipped to understand what, what, what he likes to, what he'd like them to understand. That's one thing in there. There's the autobiographical piece, sort of hailing his father's legacy because he knows he grew up around this. There's, I think that there's the idea of um, salvation and redemption in here. That's a completely separate conversation. There are four or five completely separate conversations in here as you say so it's almost difficult to kind of have them all at once but you kind of want to which i feel like this is why i kind of feel like i'm like i may not make a lot of sense (laughs) just to push um just to push what carson did then within the context of what you've just said about about you talking about thesis what 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 do you then answer to the to his to his final third act then about going back leaving the trumpet Going back to the family, what do you say about that autobi- autobiographical Spike Lee inversion? And what, what, where are you leading into that then? Because that that I I would I wouldn't disagree with about anything what you've said at all. I think I think that that's your reading. I think I can I can see the the, the mind twitching and the, the the thrashing out of a features coming, which is starting to tremble and scare me a little bit. <laughs> but um, but I, I I do think it's interesting though when you tie this up. Then how do you answer to to his choice of his of his his ending? Because are we talking about that? Is it ripples? Is he trying to suggest that there's ripples? Oh. And is it, we'll always find we'll always find that one thing we can attach to arts in his in his. There's in his... more. Like for okay. me, there's it. It, it kind of just look. There are these little conflicts in here. Say like Shadow wants more money. So there's this intra-community conflicts, as in like white man's making money off our backs and we fight with each other. That's here, right? And then he has his friend, Giant, G, right? Making all sorts of stupid decisions, potentially still a conversation he'd like to have with, with, with the audience he'd like to, this, this movie, this movie, him to, them to see this movie, right? That, you know, like, look, this guy's making all sorts of stupid decisions. He gets himself into trouble. And this guy who actually has a shot at making some, something of himself. He's coming into to his rescue and ruining his ruins his life because he gets punched in the mouth and he can't he can't play the trumpet anymore, right? So he makes a choice to defend his friend who's making shitty decisions. So you can almost say like, is Spike Lee having a conversation with a society the society at large? As in like, what are you? Yeah, in terms of intra community um, um, squabbles, right? Like what? What are you doing? Right. That's kind of the kind of, the kind of conversation you would have. That's all here, sure. and I think there's, yeah, it's just a part of it. So it's not necessarily just oh, he has a conversation about jazz or he has a conversation about filmmaking. Right, Jacob. Yeah, for I, I me, I just find this this is scattered. I agree, it's all here, but 
what should I care about? Like, look over here, squirrel, look over here. No. Like it is, it's all there, but it doesn't really come together. Like what ties this together? If there was another character that had a parallel journey or who was a foil of some sort, I'd sort of see it if I if I followed any other character as an equal. But I just have Denzel Washington, who on the one hand is a bit of a hero, on the one hand is his brother's keeper, who on the other hand is a bit of a dog, you know, and it's a dick thing. And he's has two lovers. And so he it's sort of all over the place. And then the film wants to wrap around and make an intergenerational comment about with this and it's a lovely bookend i just feel there's something that it it doesn't connect as well as spike lee thinks it does like yes all these elements are here but i'm just looking in different places i'm taking it in and i'm not engaged because it doesn't feel cohesive like this is something that robert altman does beautifully like just you've got these beautiful uh ways to thread all of this together as a as a narrative take for example nashville the walk away is that it's a slice of life this is a community this isn't so much of a community because i feel it's following bleak well strictly it's a character study we 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 spoke about the last two features we spoke about this and we both agreed about him not necessarily nailing that thematic finale Mm. i think he nails it here I just think it comes at a consequence of what he's brought forward. I think he gets to the point in that in that bar where he, where he fails to to, to do the the notes, and there's just sort of an acceptance of just giving up, and and then he goes for the montage of like mass period amount of time, and it's like it's like that jump. It's a it's a it's a it's like a thematic jump that he made with she's got to have it, where it just like what okay we're just going to forget about what massively just happened here and we'll jump to something else. But I also think it's the one like school days as well. I think there's like a a tonal jump shift as well. I, I think he does bottom out of that ending. That being said, just to go back to Jakob very briefly about about that uh, the, the, the the conversation about in, into interconnected social uh, disagreements and stuff. I would I would agree with you on that. I've not been able to fault anything you've said. I think you're reading. I think find your reading of this really interesting. Um, the one thing I would say that would give more precedent to that and a lot more substance if this film came out a lot later and he would have conversations about the critical. Um, annihilation he would then receive in the in the in the late nineties, more so um, uh, mid two thousands. I think there's no one really riding his ass here. I think he's on cloud nine. I I don't know what that's a response to if it's a critical or a social nature to to critical. I think he's he's the darling here. Bar school days, which I think he made. Yeah, but I think anyway. he doesn't like it. I think he wants, you th- you, he, he, doesn't he, like, wants, he doesn't like the, the like elevation. To- no, no. I think he sees a chasm between some someone like him and someone like Spielberg, who makes the color purple, and every granny in the town will have seen the color purple. Okay. Oh, I can see this. Like, yeah. And he'd yeah. like. I think he knows. It's just like, look, I'm saying these things, and people who already know what I what I'm about respond and clap, and I'd like people off the street to clap. To come in here and get something out of this because I feel like have some, I have something to say to them, but I don't have, but my microphone doesn't have the reach, you know. Right, I I don't disagree with that. My take would be slightly more askew. I don't think he gives a shit about about Spielberg. I don't think he gives a shit about anything. I think he's annoyed by it that they they're, they're having people watch those films. I agree with that. But I think what he actually cares about is not the credentials that come with these films. I think he cares about if if two lads come up to him and one of them's a white kid and he goes, "Oh, I really loved your film." I want to be a filmmaker. He's like, oh, that's cool. I hope you succeed. But then there's a there's a black kid, the same age as what he was. It's like, I, I want to be a filmmaker. I think that's who he looks at, are wanting to get these voices heard. I think he wants the, the, um, 
he wants the elevation of those from within his own community a bit to, to, to look at that. That might come down to an ego thing, but we're probably getting that a little later. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think he's there to serve um, a, a, a cultural mass that he's being given a platform, and I think he does a particularly brilliant job. So I think that's who he's serving and also wanting to um, to highlight and wants that type of audience to be like, oh, my God. Because at the time, it's, it's quite difficult for to be assessed and say that, he finds it painful, not painful, but he finds a, a dissonance between getting commercial critical success and not being the audience he wants. Because success, commercial critical, is a byproduct of what you've done, regardless of what of what, what culture or what what society or what um, uh, color of the skin is. I think success for him elevates him to make more material. So I, I find that interesting to, to deconstruct that. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I think it's just he wants the voices that he puts on screen to be voices in the cinema. Also. To do your point here, everybody in those jazz clubs are, 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 are a representation of a mirroring of who is on stage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a celebration of a, of, a, of a constant cultural thing. I also think, weirdly enough, this film aesthetically runs the realm of like being a 50s film. I think you've mm-hmm. mentioned this, Jacob. Yep. And then it's actually set in the really 90s. Did, right? Yeah, and it's set in like the early 90s. But is it? Is it not? I think it's wanting to go back to a it's better time. It's set in time. Hollywood sort of. Yeah, like it's like a, it's like it's a fugazi, like Jacques Demy from like it's setting yeah. this sort of like weird fairy tale. Youth it's a fugazi, fugazi, yeah. But I also, I also think that that's a conscious element of of his father's inspiration. His mm-hmm. his father's told him a story about what it was like to to work, to, yeah, to be in jazz. <laughs> and I think I think Spike Lee has, has seen that as almost like a Disney story. Yeah. I think it's I actually think it adds a, a wonderful more texture to this. It's like stardust. It's like it's been sprinkled out, and it's his perception of what of, of the of the wonderful love and affection his father spoke about material. I think that's generally beautiful, and mm. I think there's not even problematic there. I don't think he, he has to showcase the darker side to this. There's there's very little elevation going on here. There's very little height in the material. It just works. But I do agree with what Randy and Carson are saying to a certain degree. There's a lot here. There's a lot of spirals. There's a lot of dynamics. You've got um, a manager toi type of relationship here. You've got issues with money. You've got then social issues with the two um, t- uh, Totoro brothers. Totoro brothers, sorry. Um, I just, I just think there's a lot here. I think there's a there's a lot that he's again. I think he's going to get a lot off his chest in the next few years, like and he has done two years before. But I do think there's just a lot of material here to concentrate and to get a, a strong central thesis of what we found in school days and what we found in she's got to have it. We found a central lineage scene of, of, of thesis that we deconstructed and we had we had a conversation about and this is a bit harder for me because this is a bit more blurry and that's where i get into the style for the first half he subdues and he goes into substance in the second and there's a lot there is a lot of fallout there's a lot to grapple with and we go here there here there here there and we sort of all go around the houses and he gets to his disney disney um finale which i do think is a slight um, disconnect to everything we've seen before. Oh, um, disagree. I, I, just, I, I find that I think I can see the beauty in it. I can see the beauty in that. Yeah, I've, I've lost. I had it. I lost it. I've reaped for my sins. I go back, and then the the lineage thing starts. The growth starts, and it's going to fall on his son. He's not going to make the same mistakes of what he felt. I think I like that. There's a bit. There's a bit of sweetness to that. It's somewhat hopeful, somewhat sad, but it's a new generation. I like that. But I just yeah, find that. I've, I've... I have this fucking flat like okay stay tuned folks there's gonna be 2,000 words about this tomorrow yeah I can tell it's you happening it's happening I don't know I, I sort of I, but the one thing that generally does shock me generally does shock me 
that Randy Burroughs doesn't like this because I'm not going to lie. Because he loves when, when Altman, it, no? When, 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 love when a new Carson yeah. was going to be on, I thought I thought Carson because I've been because he like Carson loves school days. Carson gives school days four and a half. I think we floated with two Bizarre. twos and threes. <laughs> no, but th- that's why I was, I was like, <laughs> this one's going to be interesting. The one person I thought would probably absolutely adore this would be Randy. I can't believe that this is such an outreach for you because I think this ticks every single box that you like. This is Lee. This is Lee doing all I, that jazz. Yeah, it's. You know what? And there's even a shot of a, a mannequin head focusing on the lips, which made me think of the end of all that jazz. Um, you're not wrong. I just, I feel with school days, there are conversations that are just sort of coming out of that. And I know you guys felt they were sort of soapboxy, but I thought that they were, they were great and they were rich. And, but I see the same problem with the three uh, Spike Lee films that we've, we've talked about so far. At the core, he wants uh, she's got to have it to be a rom-com, and that doesn't really do anything for me. The rom-com doesn't. The conversations that come out of it on the periphery, that works. There's interesting stuff in there, and the conversation we had made it that much richer. School days, you know, it, it wants to be Porky's or Animal House, you know, in its own way, and that's fine. That's not the and it wants to be a musical. That's not the strength of it. The strength of it is these characters end up in these uh, situational positions that produce this context that's interesting. Um, and, you know, you you throw in the, the community that uh, Spike Lee is coming from and he's talking to. There's a richness in there and there's stuff to say. And that stuff uh, resonated with me, makes School Days a much better film than it is just sort of looking at it on, on paper. Here, those conversations aren't as rich and maybe I'm not catching them. Like, I hear what you're saying, Jacob, and this is the stuff I should be totally grooving with. But by the time we get to the end, for instance, and you've got, it is, it's a lovely concept and it's a lovely executed bookend. Why am I concerned about him having a kid? Why did we fast forward through, you know, 12 years of of his life or whatever it is? (laughs) I I don't get these connections. I thought I was spending time with the richness of the blues scene. I'm, you know, and, you know, trying to be his brother's keeper for giant. I'm just, I feel like I'm all over the map and that these conversations, yeah, they're there, but they're not resonating because also at the, at the center of it is I've got a cad. Sorry. Bleak is a, is a bit of a jackass. He's a cad stringing along two women. And if, and if that's the story, then, and I feel that's the climax is that, so he's, uh, the, the climax, you know, with his lip, and then then he feels alone and and boohoo, and then he he bosses Joa Lee to take him back. Haven't seen you in a year. Yeah, well, take me back. Haven't seen you in a year. Take me back. You know, uh, so there's 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 just sort of problems in here that I can't get past in order for the conversation that's sort of floating there for have to have an impact on me. So I, I guess that's where I am. Randy, do, do you, would, if I, if I said this, do you think, just to see if you agree with me here, I disagree. It'd be interesting to get your opinion. Do you think that perhaps this is a director who hasn't quite got or shifted that political mass over on one side of do the right thing has sort of carried a little bit too much over, tried to then thought, right, I'll do, I'll do a very much, placid straightforward drama with my with my i'll do it with my way and then maybe try to add a little bit more that that's do the right thing has seeped through a little bit in the writing and being like shit and then ultimately he's got probably something a little bit bigger than he thought it was going to be 
and it's just sort of worn away them. Because I agree with you about the ending. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna challenge you at all. I think we're we're one on one with it. I think it comes at a distance of what's come before, a disconnect undoubtedly, and a, and a and a massive tonal shift that just feels like what? It just feels it's just like mm. it's a debut again. But do you think that seats over a bit You're too much for you? <laughs> Shut up, gobshite. Let yeah. him talk. I th- I think that Spike Lee is growing each film out. I think there's no question here. And I think that he's conscious of of what he's trying to do to grow. Now, keep in mind, we're we're covering these out of order and I haven't seen Do the Right Thing in probably a decade or so. But what I feel that film, the outcome of that is is just this wonderful slice of life. Um, So I think that the challenge he's taking into Mo Better Blues is to write a character-driven piece. So he's drawing mm-hmm. on his, you know, personal experiences and his dad and, you know, maybe the influence in some ways that his dad had on him. And and maybe this um, this dynamic of, you know, black men having two women on the go, because we've seen that and, and she's got to have it because the whole point is let's look at it from sort of the the flip side of the, the gender. So um, so maybe he is taking these things that he sees from, you know, people in his in his life and he's trying to apply it to like a character study. I feel this is. As much as it's about you know the blue scene, the sort of the backdrop and the setting of it, I think that his exercise in writing here is is creating a character piece, and he's got Denzel Washington who is quickly becoming a star around him, and this is a lead, uh, you know, this is a lead role for Denzel after the the Glory Oscar supporting role. I think he's sort of doing the same thing for Wesley Snipes because uh, a couple of you mentioned it earlier, Wesley Snipes is amazing in this. I sort of like Wesley Snipes better. You can see that Wesley Snipes is, he's a star, like no question. He's got charisma. And I i love how all of these actors in the dressing room, their banter is fantastic. So, and I think that's another piece too, where probably Lee is saying to himself, okay, well, let's have some, let's have some more banter. And whether it's a conscious effort to, well, let's sort of try to Altman this scene out. Or if he's just, letting the camera roll and, and letting some improv come out, but he's really working these with these actors to, you know, to try to help them um, work on their own stardom because Wesley Snipes is a little bit of a solid supporting player at this time. I think he's at major league and maybe a couple other uh, films in the late eighties that sort of he's on the map. So in, in his way, I think he's working with, you know, these, these new uh, these up and coming black stars to maybe position them to to something greater as well, and, and maybe that's part of his his work as he sees it. Like, there's no question. I think he sees his films as important, and I think that's probably a, a piece in here too. Is is working with this these stars and uh, you know helping them become stars. And I'm totally off topic, but at any rate, yeah. What, you know, what, what did Jacob, I begin that with? Yeah, I don't Jacob, even Jacob. know anymore. So you know, I think yeah. I should, at some yeah. point I should have done this. Yes, yes. I know. <laughs> I, I, I usually don't get. That. I'll tell you what. I'll, so, I'll, I'll yeah. bring. I'll bring this back on track because there's, there's one thing I want to bring up here. Right, Jacob said earlier that he, he, you find um, Spike Lee to be angry. I don't see it that. I think this is a change. I think he becomes quite nasty. Jesus. I, like, I, oh, wait, potato, potato. You know? Yeah, no, no. Well, I, I, like I say, yeah, like, spectrum. You don't see him as angry. Like, I, I, I shit you, like, you, you probably will be in danger at some point on the street. Like when people get pissed off at you, you won't recognize. <laughs> it's just like, no, you get stabbed I, I, I don't, by just like, oh, it's such a lovely. I, I, see him, I see him as a socially con- conscious director who has a lot of emotion in his work. If anger is a byproduct of that, or it's a, it's a it's a formula in well, that's the, that's uh, central emotion. That's not a problem. But, because I suppose his 
community yeah. has been has been shafted for I want to say centuries. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Just. So, but, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but so I I look at, I look at this. The, yeah. But I also look at him. He starts to take names here. I think there's a shift in the next few films that he, he starts to look at, beginning with with do the right thing, and then touching a very specific one here. I'm going to get to, and then going to Malcolm X. I think he starts to name names here and um, and and starts to be take away from the social issue that he sees, and I think he starts to be slightly and this is going to be a lack of a better word flamboyant in the in the aspect of including issues that he perceives to be quite uh, prevalent in his community or a social thing. But one thing I also want to mention before I get into the big thing next is that we mentioned um, uh, uh, driving Miss Daisy and we mentioned the color purple. Um, He's never worked with anyone in either cast. Big, prominent black actors and actresses, not worked with any of them, not interested. I think that speaks volumes about him as well. Again, we'll probably get to the Green Book later on with the five Do you think they ended up on his shit list? Like... I think he starts to... T- oh. Yeah, I, honestly, I think he starts to take <laughs> that's, names that's here. That's a stretch. I think, no, I, well, I think he's more interested in, in helping up-and-comers and, you know, growing growing the industry within oh, his no, community. No, no. And, oh, no, no, no. Now, Gopi I, I Goldberg doesn't need his help. Wesley Snipes in the I, background I, probably would have, would have used, used, used this sort I, of I, I think I think he I think he looks at a, a community thinking, that if you've not helped me, I won't help you. And I think that's probably one thing that got him in direct to jail in the next decade, two decades or so. But it's like Tarantino with uh, True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Won't work with anyone Natural Born Killers by, by a margin of maybe one. Will not will refuse to work with them because of the signing up on that project. I think once once he becomes personal with with, it, with his creativity, I think it'd be quite difficult not to separate those things. So I think he's all well and good to do it. That is probably going to be an, a, a byproduct of issue him going further. Undoubtedly, he'll make a lot of enemies um, and, and has, has rinsed a few people in the press. But I think with this film, I think he goes a stretch further than that. I think he starts to look at quite... Just pause it here. We have to, no, 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 no. I'm be deadly serious here. We're gonna ha- no, 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 no. We're going to have to be very serious how we go on with the next topic. So you can cut this little bit out, but we'll have to be very delicate with this. Because he decides to choose two archetype characters here that are, that, that, that are sort of freeloading bastards looking for the black man and his money. They both are archetype stereotypes of quite predominant Jewish type of... They're both called... One's called Mo, one's called Josh. The last name's a Flatbrush. Like I'm not going to cut this out, by the way, because no, no, it's, it's cut, a relevant part of part of the conversation. No, I don't. I don't want. You, I don't want you to cut that out. But I, I just, just so one, when I said about when I, when I said about like, we, just be careful what we say because it's a very hot topic now. I don't want to. Like you don't to have to. You don't have to make political statements that reflect. Refle- no, I'm not. I'm just trying to just trying to give a, a landscape fair in the Middle East. Like we don't have to do this. We can talk about the film. No, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not trying to reach that. I just think it's very difficult conversation to have in the in the in the construct now we're talking about now with the political issues that are going on now within cinema as well with within the the, the issue about representation so forth and so forth. He makes a conscious choice here um, to v- not necessarily villainize because ultimately they're all they're all almost a third party to events. But he om- he chooses to caricature these two actors of uh, Italian American. Heritage, I believe, so Nick and John Dutton, both brothers, into Jewish archetypes or caricatures of a freeloading bastard and money. Now, it's it's probably I can it'd be interesting to watch this in the in the in the, in the contemporary times it was set in, because <clears throat> I don't think many people would bite to that. 
or perhaps I would do. I don't know. I'm speaking up my ass. But I think looking at looking at now, look like the idea of there's some kind of like well, the rich people are Jewish. It's not like it hasn't been invented in 2024. No, no, no. If he does like, let me, yeah. Let's be clear. He did get backlash he at did. the time. Yes. It, like, it just, yeah. to, just to put this in perspective, from Wikipedia, right? So, Anti-Defamation League and a, a lot of Jewish organizations came raining down on him for this. And then, p- to put this in perspective, the Jewish communities just worldwide are very, very sensitive about anything that relates to this. So, they usually come raining down on a lot of people just as a matter of course, right? Anything is, and, yes. And, and yes. So it does happen a lot, right? So that's one. Another thing, he then responded in the New York Times, um, and this is uh, he alleged a quote: "a double standard at work in the accusations of anti-Semitism, given the long history of negative portrayals of African Americans in film." Quote: "Not every uh, black is person is a pimp, say. murderer, pr- prostitute, convict, rapist, or drug addict, but that hasn't stopped Hollywood from writing these roles for African Americans." End quote. Lee argues that even if the Flatbush brothers are stereotyped figures, their 10 minutes of screen time is insignificant when compared to 100 years of Hollywood cinema and a slew of really racist anti-Semitic filmmakers. That's, so that's in, in, you know, so he, he argues that he's being held to a higher moral standard than the rest of his filmmaking colleagues. That's also a quote. Right. Now that young black right. filmmakers right. have arisen in the film industry, all of a sudden stereotypes are a big issue. I think it's reaching the point where I'm being reviewed, not my films, says Lee. That's kind of the, that's the controversy in a nutshell. Right. That's that. So let, let's just break this down, okay? So ultimate response then is bamboozled that he, that he would do, which we'll get onto later down down the road. Which it, we'll leave it to then because this will come back. I also think that that response is actually piss poor because that's ultimately saying that well, uh, okay, I've done it, but then look at everything else. You can't be someone who stands at one side of the table and say, right, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to showcase um, black skin, black texture in a really organic, authentic, and sensual way. And also bring a t- texture to it that hasn't been seen, and then go on the other side and be like, "Well, actually, fuck those two. Let's do an archetype." Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on either side here. I'm going to be play devil's advocate. However, when it, when I see when I see it, this, I think it does need to be mentioned. I think when he, when he makes those comments about defending himself like that, I think that's such a um, a get out of jail free can in that. Well, look what Hollywood's done to me. That's not that's not a, should not be a response to the fact that you've done that. You've then part of the problem. Not 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 can't just. He's like trying to like um, uh, deflect shots here and say, "Well, it's just not the way to go forward." The fact that he even says in it's it's not even a major aspect to the film. Then why is it there? Like, he, he, I think he doesn't have that in it, um, issue of actually seeing this and ha- having a, a critical thinking perspective on it because the fact he knows he probably shouldn't have done it. And therefore, at the time, which I think these quotes you mentioned probably would have been contemporary at the time. It so makes sense 90- if, you, if you see this movie as a metaphor for Spike Lee's career in filmmaking and the two brothers are essentially Hollywood studio producers. There's way to do that, though. There is, there is a subtlety, Jakob. I, appre- I appreciate... Dare I say we're going down a worse rabbit hole if that's the last Yeah. So I, anyway, I, let's I, wind I, this back. Carson, why do you think this movie is too dense and too rich? No, no, we, no, we, can, we can't... We can't. <laughs> We open Pandora's box now. I I agree with you. There is a way back, to do it. it no, 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 no. We, 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 you've, you've you've opened the Ark of Covenant now. Fucking hell, they're they're here. Like, let's be honest about this. I agree with that. I think you can do it. There's a just, way you can. There's a way you can say, elevate that. Jack had a drink. No, I, don't you dare do this on me. I started I, drinking at six a.m. 
But I, I think I think it's an interesting conversation to have because I think there's there's a way because he's so good at elevating the tale, he's so good at putting perspective on 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 his own culture in a really wonderful light, and yet makes the decision to do that, and then in the same quote to make a comment and say they're actually um, not really relevant to the, the overall film anyway, they're just a bit part. Then why did you put them in Spike? No, why would you put Jesus. them in? Je- Look. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, listen. Let, let me finish here. Because I don't want to be misquoted. Let me just finish because I will be heard. I, I'm not, I don't oh, want to be misquoted I, What here. I need to do now is I need to go on YouTube, find Matt Damon in The Last Fucking Duel or whatever the hell. And then I need I need, I need, this, I need a drop for this. I shall be heard. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I, I don't want to mis- be misquoted here at, at all. Because I, I think the, com- the conversation needs to be said. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be on no both sides. listening, don't worry. No, it's, but it's fine. Apart from Rich. I, Hi, Rich. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not on both sides uh, sides of this fence here. However, I find this a double standard. I really do. Like, there's a way, there's a way to go about the the actual execution of these sequences, and to do it in such an archetype manner. I think for for a director like Spike Lee, for a talented director visionary, to go that way and to do it so unsubtly and to to make actual an an arse of it, I think is actually really disappointing for a creative of his type. I really do. As someone who was has elevated the, the genre, has put it into the pantheon. To do that, to me, is like, what? What you were? Tr- are you trying to like trying to find an audience there and suggest something? Because it's just like, like I'm, I'm not. I, w- I won't go to the, the degree where I think it's anti-Semitic. I think I think if someone from from Jewish ethnicity was like, right, I, I think that's fucking a little bit too far. Then I'm not going to argue with that. But in the same token. To then, to then suggest... It's again, five I'm, minutes of screen far? time. It's not too I, far. Someone's being a little bit sensitive. And as you no, say, like... No, look, come look, on. We've had this no. conversation in Dress I'm to with- Kill, for instance, where, where people would just say, like, look, all these, all these gang members are black. Oh, isn't this a little bit insensitive? No, at the time, no one gave a shit. Right, so this is yeah, where but, he yeah, comes but, from. Like, look, but you, people you, did give a shit at the time, and when he was confronted about it, he specifically doubled down, refused to acknowledge that he did anything wrong, and then doubled back on a completely different issue with black um, representation on screen, and refused to admit that he did everything wrong. Like, I, I don't disagree that I think there is a pathway here. That like, is this the end of the world for Spike Lee, to where I can never watch this film again? No. Did he handle the situation piss poorly? Yes. Make an ass of himself saying, yeah. and just I mean, look. He's awful? angry in general, yes, so he. I would but he has a history of, of just overreacting to things. Also, That's like, fine. We are... Yeah, I see it as a mountain out of a molehill. It's, it's, it's not a big <laughs> look, deal. It's five look, minutes of screen time. And yeah. I, actually, I had to read the stupid Wikipedia article and say, is there a controversy in here? Oh, are these people supposed to be Jewish? I didn't even pay attention to this. I just, I. I but your ignorance doesn't no. make it wrong or but right. But yeah, but so making, <laughs> like, making this into, a, into an issue... I just conversation Making is. this into an issue... <laughs> It actually makes look, the issue, as in like, no, it was an issue. No, no. Like people I, I, I think his writing, I, 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 I think his writing of Joie Lee at the end is is, is even is more, more offensive. Let, let me just say this: I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not, gonna, I'm not a part of this. Make this five stars. Hold I, on. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I'm not someone who is like. I'm not. I'm not into cancel <laughs> culture. I'm not into to going back and and taking something away from someone. I just think at the time, I think it's just slightly awry. And now I look back, I look at it now, and I'm thinking like. Just to see to see the the evolution of it, I just don't think it was dealt right. And also, I think again to go back to the point from from what we've highlighted about someone to make really conscious strides in social political constructs and to de- to, to 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 desensitize them for for an audience to to ab- obtain and also to access to do something like that, which is like, could you have not just done something better? 
I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm just vastly disappointed in the choices to do it because, I and all, like, and I, I don't think this is. I really. I don't. Not taking this any further than it is, but I also take quite big sentiments. To the idea that, that this is not a bigger situation than it is. I think if you don't want to look at it, it's not there. But I think if you do, I think it's ever so apparent. He's trying to sort of lead a certain conversation there about these guys. You know, like, I think you have I, to read I, into I, it a little bit. <clears throat> oh yeah, come, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I think it's there very much apparent, and that's why I think it's even worse. I think he's just in disbelief that someone would come after him after a couple small characters, and and maybe the better response would be to not have responded because that's what sort of made probably, made the issue. You're probably right, possibly. Yeah. Both but right. but at the at the end of the day, you know. Uh, I think giving Joali no agency at the end is is a much bigger Randa, know, character Randa. Simpl- simplification. I, me. We've done we've done six hours of this director, and you've spoken so highly of his, how, how he constructs a conversation as you as you did in school days. I think to to miss a line here to say this is just a a slight red herring. I think it's a disservice to the actual issue of, of this aspect. I think this has got quite serious connotations. And granted, if he didn't want it in, why put it in? Why then? I just think the statement he made is just borderline ridiculous. I just if they have apps, also it's a hundred, it's almost one hundred thirty minutes as well. Uh, no, yeah, it's hundred thirty minutes. Cut it out. Take five, ten minutes off. Like if we're talking about a director here that well, we, we, we spoke no, you about, then you do have a piece it's in, for. It's important to a you have a piece for bleak. Yeah, there's a piece for bleak and sort of you know fighting for what he what he deserves within the the community and the owners of the jet. Like it. It deserves to be there. Can can it not just be that maybe this character was written in a bit of ignorance too? Like, I, like to me, it's it's not worth a whole lot of conversation because too, you know, like at the end of the day, a lot of the uh, the the folks who would have owned the jazz clubs and the blues clubs, you know, they're white mm-hmm. and or they're Jewish, and it's it's just a certain reality. So the fact that you get the Turturro, the Turturro boys. You know, and maybe they're hamming it up, and then you've got a scene that's written in there, eight and eight to sixteen. Yeah, I don't need that scene. I don't need that moment. You know, maybe it's making a point. Maybe it's a made, making a point in in ignorance. It's going for a bit of a, a chuckle or whatever. Um, but you know, I, uh, maybe I should, it is what it, it is. What it is. Maybe I should, maybe I should, look. I, I did say at some point, either in this conversation or one of the, one of the few beforehand, that he doesn't necessarily. I don't believe he makes accidents, and in in any of these things, he puts stuff in there on purpose because he's an extremely um, intelligent filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. This is, there is no accident. So if he wants to put um, these businessmen um, in in certain clothes and he wants to um, make them into stereotypes, I think he's doing this on purpose. And then maybe this kind of speaks to the fact that he's kind of perpetually angry because I, you know, he watches like a load of movies and he says he, every time he sees a black character on the screen, uh, on the screen, it will be. Um, a stereotype of some description, right? So he says, why can't I do that? Like, everyone else gets away with it. Why can't I do this? And all of a sudden, like, he he does this for, an, almost for in, in, in a very insignificant way, just as insignificant would be like, I don't, I don't know, like a random pimp on the street in a, in, in a movie with James Caan, right? Then all I of a sudden, like, he's... I see a bit he, of spite he, in that. Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I, maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. So I think he also, may, maybe even... He, the fact that he gets a reaction proves a point that that he feels what where he feels there's bias there is bias against him 
because other people right. don't get don't, don't get to don't get a shitstorm of over something let's just say in 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 what he sees as insignificant 10 minutes of 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 screen time from two very small characters fair enough but then for him to later down the road respond to Tyler Perry about perpetuating a stereotype of black men in dresses and de- mm-hmm. showing that to a young audience i think he's also damaging the credibility of what you've just said yeah, but I, when I, I was that what 2011 yeah. maybe a bit so, earlier maybe maybe or 6 even maybe to, go that far but, but I, don't, i don't know at this point it's 20 years later like 20 20 i don't know 20 years of being constantly angry and getting angrier i think changes people so like <laughs> spikely in 1990 is not spikely in 2011 so i don't know like we haven't gotten gotten there so, yet so so let, let's get to the actual crux of this because we're all well singing and dancing here what is he angry about with those two lads what I is he angry about He's What's angry. He trying to suggest? I think he's angry about the fact that if in a random 1979 film from like directed by I don't know Paul Schrader or I don't know Carol Reich with or The Gambler or whatever whenever the the gangster gangster is going to be a black guy wearing a fur and a hat you know and and everything's fine no one kicks up a stink or whenever someone kicks up a stink it doesn't get traction <clears throat> or just maybe black communities just used to the fact that like, I suppose we're just getting stereotyped everywhere and they just live with this right and he decides okay i'm going to i'm going to do something here i'm going to i'm going to send a message you know and then all it? of a sudden like, he oh. he gets a shitstorm and he sees uh, maybe he says like i was right there's, t- there's bias like but we're Jacob, supposed to just bear it and then you know like all yeah, of a sudden like everybody else gets gets, he, gets he, he's know, do, he, gets but he's done he's done that through two of it, the, the three features he did beforehand he perfectly exemplified that exemplified that in in school days and and she's got to have it by putting those two films with his own cultural significance in the pantheon of two different genres that his 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 culture were not a part of or were, or were seen not to be the leads of that's how you do it that is the intelligence i don't this, think it's a good i don't th- think it's a good comparison because neither oh, in school days or in she or she's got to have it like it's all um intra black community like there this are no fi- white characters in there his right? cho- this, this, and this do the right thing here. you have like stereotyping of say um Italian Americans, and at this point, I don't remember because we I haven't rewatched it yet for this movie. And like, is was there a controversy? Like, did Italian Americans like kick up a shit storm over this? We're not all racists, you know. I don't know. I- He didn't play into specific stereotypes with the identity, though. I kind of reject your entire notion on like how Spike Lee is and who Spike Lee is. You like keep saying he's angry and that's keeps how, using that that's as how like I read him, yeah. he's angry about. Well, no, and that's f- fine. He's he's clearly has feelings about a lot of things, but you seem to be suggesting that Spike Lee's angry to the point where he like um, would do things irrationally or like throw this in there out of like spite. No, not irrationally. Really he doesn't. Do, I don't think he does anything irrationally. I think he does everything. Then why would you include this? Then why would you include like so you don't, so you think it's rational to include no, I, this moment? In I, th- the film? I think. If if you put him put yourself in a position of someone who probably grew up watching all sorts of Hollywood films where, say, black people would be stereotyped constantly, right? right? He sees okay if if a white filmmaker can stereotype me, I should be able to stereotype the white character myself too, and it shouldn't be a problem because that's that would be called that would be called equality, his- right? 
But throughout his career and throughout his personal statements, Spike Lee has specifically not tried to justify and say it's good to be stereotyping. He's trying to fight That's against exactly that. That's exactly what he said. He understands the harming dance, but no, he's not. Because he includes a stereotype and then doubles down on it in an inter- in an editorial for the New York mm-hmm. Times after. He's not making a statement after he says, yeah, that was shitty to do and like this is the purpose of it. He doubled down and said that he should be allowed to. Like He is not illogical to the point where he doesn't understand the harming nature of stereotypes to where he would just use it n- or to where I think he's angry enough just to use it nonchalantly. Like I just, or rather he should be. Um, I just think it's a clear misstep. And then he had a reaction to it, but I don't think he's angry to the point where he would include this. Or like, I just, I don't know. I kind of reject your notion. And then like, even back to like, do the right thing with the like commentary in there. I think at every point he's proven to be very logical, very, um, I, I don't know. Well, I, I, think I think it's logical. The, it's the, not irrational. The commentary of anger it's just interesting to me. Like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm... No, the anger comes out and, and people actually make a problem out of this. And it's like, oh, so it is a problem when I do it. But if when Spielberg does it, that's fine. Right? I, th- I think this is where the anger starts for him. Don't make me hate Spike Lee, please. Hmm? Yeah. No. <laughs> don't make just, me dislike I think, Spike Lee. Yeah, I think he's angry with Yacob, the allegation. Yacob, 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 that's so fucking lazy. Don't gaslight me and tell me that it's just like he's not angry. Like, he is. No, I, no one's arguing that. That's such a fucking lazy thing to do. Obviously he is. But I don't think he's angry to like, that gets in the way of craft or like being lazy is all I'm saying. I don't think it gets in the the way of craft. I think he's just making, he's making points. So whenever he chooses to stereotype a character, he's doing it for a reason. And this reason is to make, uh, to to do what he sees done to his community all the time. I'm just going to say this and I want to, I would fucking wrap it, wrap it up. I'll, I'll say this. I think that's that's a I if that's if that's your reading of it, I'm not going to argue with you. I think that personally, from a filmmaker I've seen who is who is constantly evolving, is is quite cinematic how he devises things. I think that's fucking laser. I think that's really laser to say that well, you do it, I'll do it. It's like the epitome of just absolute laziness. It's like uh, fight fire with fire. It's it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Also, as well, but I think that I, I think it's the commentary that he's responding to uh, that that he's angry with, like. I made this film and this is what your this is your question. It, it's like Scarlett Johansson who erupted at a not erupted, but but she called out in in her interviewers were saying, You keep asking me like stupid questions about my diet and my clothes. Why don't you ask the gentleman on the panel? You know, why don't you ask Tony Stark that question? Like it's it's stupid, it's not fair. So I think that's the type of outrage that mm-hmm. Spike Lee has here, just responding to this. I think that, that my take on it is the the in the film itself. He's got these these great guys, the Torturo boys. He loves working with them. He loves them as the 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 craftsmen that they are because they're fantastic actors, both of them. He wants to use them again. It makes sense to have these white characters own the club. And mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily sold 100% on Spike Lee as a writer. I think there's some missteps. And, yes. and maybe this is one that this is sort of written in that way. I don't quite see the spite thing, but I see that if he's going to be answering questions about this, I see where that's where that's where he retorts. Like, I see. This is what, I mean. I agree with this. Like this, when I think he, I'd be angry too. And so, like, you make a movie that's like 130 minutes long, or full of all sorts of stuff, seven different conversations happening all at once, and this is what you this is what you latch onto, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'd be angry too, and I'd. Pro- I mean, if I was Spike Lee, I would probably say like, maybe I'll write an editorial for the New York Times and double down because like, holy shit! Like, why would you? St- why, why would you step on my toes right, right in this second? Like, doesn't 
why is it not a problem that Giancarlo Esposito is essentially the same type of stereotype? Because people like this don't necessarily exist, right? Like, why is the um, um, comedian, is it Robin? Why do I want to say Robin Wright? It's not Robin Wright. Um, Robin Harris? But Robin I mean, Harris, yeah. He's, he's also kind of like a little bit, everyone's elevated in this film. So everyone's a, a bit of a caricature. Like, no, no one's really real. Mm-hmm. In here, like all the kids in the in in the beginning, when the camera just cranes in, like in a Disney film, they're not real kids. They wear costumes, and they, you can see see that this is all made to to have a specific sheen. So all of a sudden, like so, so if everyone has to have a specific sheen, but you demand full on realism from the white owner of the of the club, so he, he doesn't doesn't get to have a I don't know slight, slightly just a hammed up accent, would feel out of yeah. So. I feel this is where he feels okay. Someone's not being fair to me. So if if everything's got a sheen on it, then what's the suggestion of those two characters? Is it to suggest that they're, that's not they're like Disney villains? Like if you think of Jesus, like would you would you have a would you have a problem with a Disney villain? Like if this was a cartoon, would you have a problem with that? I think Disney and that re- historically yeah, Disney that, that has never had a controversial no, history. What I'm, with the Jesus, like, just, just calm down. Like what I'm, what I'm saying, like if this was a cartoon, which which is further elevated, so it's not real people, it's drawn characters, where you where you frequently uh, use stereotypes and shorthand because you have to speak to kids who don't see new ones. Right, that's Would not Spitely's audience, though. Jakub, that's not Spitely's audience. Spitely is a conscious-minded... But it's not a Disney film. However, it's slightly elevated. It's, so it's not, you know... It's not a, it's not, it's not a Bergman film. Look, I, I, I just think it comes <laughs> off lazy and just slightly narrow-minded. And also, if, 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 I'd, if I'd have made that film and, I'd have, and people were, were highlighting three minutes out of the 130... Um, I would be quite annoyed, but if I'd done it, then I'd be questioning myself rather than the audiences. I'd be like, right, so that doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Look at it, self-analyze, cut it or not, or, or double down. But the, the, I just think that the whole thing around it to me is, is so blurry, and I think the response is so poor. It's just something we're not going to agree on. I, I, I think it's conscious to have the conversation on this now, and obviously the issues we're having today with like the, the, the uh, Leonard Birdstein estate with a fake nose, I think John Lugazamo's come out and said something about like why did we not get Chilean Chilean actress to play? I think it's, there's there's all conscious conversations to have about not only stereotypes but actors playing different ethnicities and stuff like that, etc., etc. Religions. I think it's interesting to have a, uh, the conversation. So I don't I don't hold anyone accountable for Spike Lee's actions here, but I just think it's, it's an interesting one to have a conversation. Look, the controversy. About. I mean, fair enough. You can I can I can take your point, Carson specifically, right? Like the okay, it's cheap. Um, it it it's sort of. I don't know, like, why would you double down? Can you just move on, right? But at the same time, it's cheap criticism. Like, if you watch Ma- Maestro, well, I haven't seen it yet, and and <gasps> and then you like you can dismiss a whole film because because of the nose. I'm like, even even with like, if you look at the guy's pictures, I think they tried to kind of do it right. I don't know. Yeah, I think he actually talks about that as well. But yeah, I think- so, but then like, if that's cheap criticism, like, haha, this is something for me to get angry about and get clicks on Twitter. That's all this is. Yeah. To be clear, let's like not like gaslight what this criticism was. It was from the like a like that's what the purpose of this people who were like disc- or, um, bringing up this controversy was. It's not like it was like critical conversation where this is like all Ebert wrote about in his review, right? So like, well, let's not, not be Ebert. like this is it's some like, woke mob. It's on- like anti-defamation no, league. So organizations whose specific remit is to get angry at shit and stir and 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 just make make these things uh, make certain things. Um, 
like bring them to the fore of public conversation, right? right? What I'm saying is like the contra- the the conversation. Like I don't think it's fair to say that it was such a large outcry or such the focus of the film, even in compared to like Maestro in the nose. Right? They d- he didn't have a woke mob on Twitter trying to tear him down for this. Is my perception of this criticism. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important when you look at the response to keep in mind the actual literal context of what he's responding to, instead of like trying to create a different situation just to show him more grace is what I would say. I mean, uh, that makes sense. sure. Yeah. But at the same time, the fact that we're making this a, a, an extended piece of a conversation about a film that has so many different conversations you could have about it actually speaks to the fact how, um, how knee jerk this whole thing is and how pointless this is. Because like, even with the nose and everything, it's all for clicks. It's all for just a cheap piece of quick attention. That's all this is. So like, well, look at me as angry with me for a second. Yes, and then now, now, now you have a paragraph on Wikipedia. Congratulations. We, we, we've had, we've had this conversation. I don't disagree with your sentiments there. I think me and you, I agree. There's a lot of outrage culture. I agree with you there. However, I do see this as an interesting statement in the fact that the film he made before was a critical financial commercial success. I think he looks on that with these two characters as ultimate Universal Studios. In, in, a, in, a, in a way, and then looks at it and is like, why am I making a film for you to profit off? Yep. And then I'm not, I'm not getting any riches of it. I see, I see the ideology there. It works. It's, been, it's worked before, it will work again. It works. But I think he layers that too deep to, to, and, and, and ultimately puts a fucking um, aim on them. Like he know, like he goes to, he go, he, over, he oversteps the boundary into aspects of where it's going to become a, com- a conversation. If he hinders that just a slight layer back, I think he fucking nails that. I don't think there's any conversation, but he just overdoes it a little bit. And I think that's where it comes down to what Randy said about the writing. And also there's still tiny things here of a lack of maturity as a filmmaker that he's still growing. And I think it comes down to the fact that when he does get angry, as, as Jakob said, but I think he becomes nasty. I think that's when mm-hmm. he loses his cool slightly of how to become restrained. I think and how so. To re- because mm-hmm. I think you look at Black Klansman, which is far away ahead of this. I think that's a man who's fucking livid with the world. But yeah. I think there's restraint in that film, wonderfully executed with its finale, and it works. Here, he's aiming at someone, and I think there's too much anger there. There's too much personal personification in there to, to, to alienate. Not not um that that should be a company or should be a social issue. A, a, a social issue or economic issue that he's facing with with the money profiting off him and it should come back to him. He can celebrate in, in, in his stories. I think he just personifies that to a degree where it becomes slightly uncomfortable for me. But that's where I leave it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, Spike Lee, I mean, and that comes to Randy's comment, he's never been, I don't think you could ever accuse him of being subtle. Just oh, in yeah. general, in general. when Whether mm-hmm. it's style, visually, whether it's writing, whether it's political messaging he will like if you want a character to say something he will actually make he will bring this point home and actually black clansman is a great example although i think it's a there, there are different sort of shades of anger in here of course in, yeah because i think in here as in, in mobile blues i think he's more frustrated than than furious and in black clansman he's just furious i agree i agree right? and, I, I, and like, I think that level yeah. of frustration um alienates um foresight reality and the perceived notion of, of I'm untouchable. I'm angry. I, de- I deserve to say what I say and I say it. And then ultimately 
when everything calms down, you have to have the maturity to accept that what you did and what you said, um, because you're not angry now, may have not been the correct thing. And to do that takes a whole lot of maturity and guts. And I think he's still at that point where I'm fucking untouchable now. And I think this is where the ego comes in slightly and it gets raised and raised and raised. And that's why I, 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 he has two Spike Lees. He has the cinema Spike Lee and he has the person of Spike Lee. And they become to become quite blurred at this point. And from this moment on, from Mo Better Blues, I think both of them split. And we get one in the public eye and one in the cinematic eye. I do think the public eye takes a lot more precedent as time goes on. Look, uh, rightly, Maybe rightly so with the social issues. Maybe rightly he's so. He's still a young man and he's figuring out his of celebrity. Course. And, you know, here's a guy too who, however old he is here, 30, like like early 30s. Yeah. This, this is a guy that he's a lightning rod on the one hand and everyone wants to listen to him on the other hand. And he's a star. He's a celebrity director for a guy who's never made a film that grossed more than $30 million. Like it's, it's, he's a unique entity, you know, like he's an a, he's an a list director for a guy that's never had a mainstream hit. He's a guy that everybody knows. I knew who Spike Lee was before I ever saw a Spike Lee film growing up. Like he's, he was just, he was a presence. And that part of that is his relationship with, um, uh, musical artist too, because he started doing a lot of music videos at this time. We talked about the commercials he did with Michael Jordan, and he was sort of on the ground floor of uh, Nike's successful line in the late '80s. So he's he's just he's this he's a multimedia presence too, and he and he's he's big man on campus, and he's just trying to figure out how to use his voice. In, in a yeah, point those too. So those I, careers yeah. split, don't they? They do. They they, they split, and um, the, the, so one you, goes one gone. Sorry. No, would you then? Would you then? Um, see that this may be a source of frustration for him. Oh, that he's like, Oh, everyone knows me. No one watches my shit. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it, I, I, I see you read into that. And I, I think there's a, there's a layer of that, but I, I more think it's that I've, I've made my own back here. I've had to be in one of my own films. So I couldn't afford to do it. I know that's a luxury, but I've had to make it on, on money. I had to borrow. I then ha- I, I couldn't get the money I wanted for school days. I made you fuck us a profit. Then I made my magnus opus. I made you commercial critical success. I got you to the Academy Awards, and I see no realization of what I can do with my power. He probably says, "You don't pay me enough. You don't respect me enough. You're giving um, 60, 60 year olds um, magnum uh, uh, carte blanche to make jazz uh, films you want to. You, Steven Spielberg's doing whatever he wants to do. Why can't I make that?" I think that's where the frustration comes out. Mm-hmm. But like all said, in very young men, regardless of 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 of, of of um, race or ethnicity, young men have pent up frustration, community issues, social issues. Um, mm-hmm. There's a maturity level of issue there where they make mistakes. I just think that's one of them. Now, I agree with you. I think we've had the conversation about it. I think we've done a very level-headed one. I, I, I don't disagree with anyone's opinion here about if we're blowing up or not blowing up. It's in the film. I think it's relevant to talk about. I, do, right. I just do. But, but mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think the frustration here is one thing and we're not going to see the end of it either. I think this frustration goes on for a fucking long time with him. And mm-hmm. I'm partly understandable to that frustration because I think it makes you a powerful filmmaker. I just think he doesn't handle it in a way that we'll get to there. But I think with this, especially with do the right thing, I think he'd be quite touched about this. I think he'd be, I think he'd look at this and be like, that's where I perhaps agree with you about the notion of picking that, that thing out of the film. Because this is very autobiographical. I cannot say that I've had a drink. Autobiographical. It's the Guinness. 
But I, I think started it, drinking yes. at six a.m. <laughs> I've, I've had one pint. Um, I, I think I think I think that's where I would agree with you. I would think I put my heart and soul in this. I've just made this company a load of money. I've just gone to critical success, and that's what you're pinning out. Perhaps I would agree with that. I, but the frustration is interesting because we see a lot of filmmakers who are pent up frustration. They go out and make something. We spoke about Babylon, Damien Chazelle's thing. We, we, we look at a lot of frustration. If we look look at, at box office now, it's uh, quite fun to listen to because you spend like two and a half hours and you're just like they haven't even discussed the film. You were just like we vibe angry about random. Shit. I got I got I got to vibe with one of my close <laughs> friends who was a deputy editor of a chief of something we created. To talk about one of his favorite films, it was fucking. I'm I'm, I'm not going to get any stick there at, at all. It, it was a vibe, but I think frustration and talent are two intertwined entities that can often lead to destru- destruction. And I think the frustration he has, I think he puts down, and I, that anger you talk about now, I think he gets into that. And then when you get to Crooklyn, when we get there, we'll part this conversation because we have to open this back up again about frustration. But if I want to talk about something positive, I'll say this right. That first hour of filmmaking here is fucking dazzling. There are choices here, aesthetic with the camera, that I think are honestly magical. I watched this on my TV and I could not believe that I was like my, my jaw had dropped. I, like he does subtle executions and, and, and he does he does very similar type of techniques as you said further down the line. But here he he nailed the aspect of evolving as a film student and making his own thing. And there's a, there's a sequence where he's kissing one of his girlfriends, right? And the camera is doing a 360. And I sort of just fell in love with this film. Mm-hmm. I seriously, I was just in, 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 intertwined with it. I was like, you bastard. Like, I'm just here. I love it. The choice of when the cat, like he's, he's, he's trying to formulate his, the song after he's had an epiphany and he's on the, he's on the, on the um, um, I'm going to say computer, I mean piano. And on, the, he's the, on the, the computer, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's on the computer, yeah. He's on the, he's on the piano and the, his girlfriend in the back is being muted but he cuts to her, cuts back to him. The camera's positioned to him on this wonderful angle and he cuts to these snapshots to her and her mouth and her eyes and we don't see what he's she's saying. not we, listening. Yeah, I think like, I was just like sat and I was like, he's got it like he he has this visualization in that first hour where he just intertwines and also that sequence at the beginning these are all going to come back later on but he's got a great moment in towards the end where he has a conversation with two women at once and you don't know which one actually he has a conversation with until the scene progresses oh and the color that's that's beautiful editing the lighting as well the red the flashes it's like it's like de palma was here again it was like oh my god costumes yeah yeah when he's allowed to just oh my god the costume design as well but the opening how it's framed the camera how it lingers i I, I, granted i i think that shot that you said earlier when they're in the actual back room and they're all having a conversation they're just they're cutting the shit they're just having a conversation and he's there he's probably reading from the script to give them pointers as if to say right you have a conversation and i come in with this we move on we move on like he's probably a staple but the camera just lingers there and then when, oh my God, when Esposito comes in and he's on the mirror and we cut back and forth and he's shouting at the mirror, the angle of it, it's like, it's just, in t- the whole thing is sort of mesmerizing to watch as a visualization. And it's, it's, I didn't, mess, I have to watch this again, like you said, Jacob, about do the right thing. But I didn't see as much technique in that. Granted, I think there's a lot more in there than, than with, with, with the, the custom of a thematic. But the technique here, I think it goes back to she do, um, she's got to have it. I think there's, there's just that filmmaker now, that broadening filmmaker. And 
I I think the first hour of this is like just like oh my god, it's I just loved it visually, thematically I did, but visually I was like oh god, this is so good. It was by the way, great transition like after a whole like. Christmas dinner where Look. like someone's falling out, someone's breaking <laughs> up, and he's just like, "No, no, no you're a motherfucker!" And, was just, and then just like silence, and everyone's and someone goes like, "So how did you like the salad?" <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. This is an this is an accomplished visual uh, filmmaker here, and Ernest Dickerson too. Like like he's part of this. Like this is just mm, chef's kiss. Beautiful, beautiful looking, and there's a maturity in the editing here which I'd say he sort of had a knack for straight through for, for all of his films. But, you know, yeah, like, no, abs, absolutely. The, the craft here, fantastic. F- fantastic. Yeah. My issues lie with story. What about you, Carson? Because I know that you, 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 you're quite into your, your camera work with Chazelle. Don't you see weird influences here, at least? Oh, I think it's brilliant. I mean, what it stood out to me even more was probably the lighting of some scenes. I mean, the lighting in this is just fucking gorgeous. I mean, the texture he gives to this world and in all of his films. I mean, this is not unique to this film, but like it is probably never done better than it is here. It's I mean, it works of art, you know, to the like highest degree. Um, really appreciate it. I just, but again, I agree with Randy. I think the story is just like where it doesn't. So work for, for me. both of you, I think that a, a lot of the problem is. What like the the movie's a little bit too dense or too rich or not focused enough or what exactly? It's probably all like, too wandering, too long and meandering. Right. I think like there's probably a really great hundred minute focus feature where you have to focus on an element though. You have to have for me some backbone, a spine to mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it has a spine. When you have a spine, for example, Babylon three hour film we talked about that has a spine and then it builds the fat and muscle from that to give a whole body to give a grand wide feature that says a lot but it's all coming back to some element for me with this film it is all that meat it's all the fat it's all the random bones but Mm. there's no spine to where i feel like it has that foundation to where the building can build on top of itself instead it just feels scattered carson if um, if, if, if someone described this as an odyssey before you watched it would you see more into that Oh God! Are you, are you trying to trigger me with the terrorism? No, well, we've got. We I, I would not do um, that to you, please. I wouldn't do that to myself. <laughs> though, on a seriously, though, yeah, angry it, it was, it, it, no, it was more so me. You feel like you're gonna <laughs> break stuff. Castle was very. Castle was very level-headed throughout. It, actually, <laughs> I fucking hate this one. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it. I, I think it's hard. Because for my brain, with how I watch this in order and just knowing the context, it's hard to take this out of Spike Lee's filmography, especially around this time. And I mean, you mentioned that I love School Days. I love Do the Right Thing. I love Crooklyn. I really like Malcolm X, which is shortly after. Haven't seen Jungle Fever. I think that with all those films, what I love about those and what elevates those, for me, it's just not present here. So in comparison, it looks even worse than it probably is. I don't hate the film mm-hmm. by any means, but it just, I don't know, it... it it doesn't so, work for me in the same so way. So isn't Bleak's arc enough of a spine for you around uh, around which all, no, all the things... What is, what is, what is, the what is his arc? What is the arc? What yeah. is the purpose of his arc also? Is it about the... Fa- what it comes to me is like, is it about the father and the influence and the generational trauma? Because that's not really in the film a lot of the time outside of the bookend. Like, I don't know. I don't need to repeat what we've just said for two and a half hours. But like... I don't think there is a single arc here that like truly has that spine for me. I think... What... The, what mm-hmm. Go for it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going to bring you in this, but I'm not, not to be strange. Jesus Christ. I, I find it really interesting that, that we've got two on two here because 
I wonder if there's any connection what me and Jakob find in this and what you two don't then. Because I, I, I feel like there's two of us saying relatively the same thing and the other two are saying the exact same thing. I mean, we're, we're all four. We're on the same page as in like, yes, it's unfocused. And then we're just saying, yes, it's great. And you guys, like, you guys are like, I'd like to have like a nice arc in here or something to kind of just hang my hat on to. So, something that's a little bit more familiar, I suppose, or a bit more focused. I, Meanwhile, I, I, I just I just appreciate okay. how unfocused this is. <laughs> I, I I do I I say this, Jacoby. I don't know if you agree with me here. I like the fact that I don't I wouldn't say this unfocused. Although I think you can probably read well, it's into not that. unfocused. I think you just it, have it, to. It's just meandering. It. It's, it doesn't have um, you know a central yeah linear yeah. But I I I, I yeah. think that it works more to its power because this is a man wandering throughout life with one talent has the looks, has the charm, has the sensitivity, has the sensuality, has the sexuality. He can he oh, can he can he? devour an Boy, he can devour he? an audience by words, does by this. style. Like he like it's the epitome of a star in Washington. But the actual character itself literally can't come to terms with the fact that he can't have certain things and loses it all and then ch- then chooses to, to to not even chooses, I think that the choice has been put forward to him at the end anyway. You, you know you've you, you've got what you've got until it's gone. Like love it. And I think he, he ultimately loses jazz in a sense to gain that partnership that he's not, not being able to have i quite see a, a wonderful odyssey there about human human uh, emotion and choice i think we all we all get blindsided by lust but also by by affection and love i think our, our hearts and brains don't work in conjunction as well as with one's hope i think one one tells one thing and the other tells us another and it's difficult to assess which one you think is telling you the truth or at which one you sort of repress. And I think it's the fallout of then having to deal with that choice, if it's the right one or, or, or not, and deciding whether it is its head or, or, or his heart. I think this film encapsulates that to a degree where I find it quite personal. I, I, I can understand where he was coming from here. And like Jakob said about his reading with film and, 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 and culture and also within cinema, I think that's all there. But I think I, I do see this more as an intimate portrayal of just of, of, of man having a really difficult um, oxymoron of having it all but having nothing and it, and it it is like Knight of Cups in a way like it's always that odyssey of no 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 I'll get that it's all it's, but I, I think in comparison just because it's in it's in we did it we did it last week but I look at those two films and I, and I see two people walking through life with a blindfold on and then what happens when they wake up and I think those interactions are always interesting. And I, and I look at this and I see he's had to make choices here, there and everywhere. But I, I see the, these fleeting ideas, these fleeting moments, this anger, this, this, this vengeance, this repulsiveness, this, this, this um, grief, brutality. I all see this intertwined by a man who's, who's, who's multifaceted. But it's like the, the, uh, the whiplash thing. It, it's how far will you go to, to uncover the next level? And he misses out on it with his choices. It's it's almost like this brutality of, of of reality in a sense. I can understand why that would off would put off people, but I think you've got to go through these mass amounts of arcs and intertwined characters. You've got to you've got to have these moments where he talks to this person, that person, this person. He has to have a relationship here and they're here, there, and everywhere, and everywhere. Ultimately, to get to the end where life will move on without you everywhere. You are not big shit. You are not in your your boots for very long. So I sort of, I sort of got that, but I can understand in a way that people would be like, "This is fucking meandering. This is just going on and on." So I don't, I don't disagree with you both, but I do find it interesting that from someone who adored school days, 
and someone who loves the whimsical nature of Spike Lee in the musical, that you both don't not get this. I don't. That's not that's patronizing, but you don't vibe with it <laughs> at all. Yeah, don't turn it into Nick on yeah, this yeah. episode. Well, I totally disagree with still you. may not be getting it, by the way. Just, like, just say it's <laughs> no. still possible. <laughs> well, to be clear, I'm getting yeah. it, and I see that in the film, and I agree, and that's probably the best argument I've heard as to why this film is good. But then if that's the case, I wish that Giant's character was handled differently, and I wish that conflict and his influence specifically on the downfall then, because that's not related to the arc that you, in my, for how I see it. You can say the friendship, and you can talk about how the like loyalty to keep trying to help him and get dragged down into the tar pit of his own mess. You can argue that, I guess, to a point. But I just think then that takes away because it gets distracted. And when it comes time for like that moment, his downfall should be a weight of his obsession, his inability um, to handle that his intentions and his goals, which is not the case. It comes down to Giants problems. And I, it's a film that I just think continually at every turn just goes in a different Why, direction and doesn't like have that. Can arc. I probe quickly? Why should it be different? No. No, <laughs> no, because that's what you said. Like, oh, I think this sh- this 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 arc, this drama should be this. Not, I, I, I this should because not be distracted by, with, with Giant's problems. Because right? why? Yeah, because if the conversation, if the film is a thesis and looking at his this character and him trying to take that next level and trying to you know take that next step, he's unable to do so. What are you willing to sacrifice? And also just like the conversations around fame and ego, if you want to say, then why would Giants' problems be such a big catalyst for how the plot moves in that downfall? Why should that be the case? Because it's not relevant. Is the issue I'm, and like how I think it should be relevant. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was just because. But you can disagree. Valid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> For me, what's my takeaway from this film? And I don't really feel I have a solid one. You know, well, you know, circle of life and, you know, what, you know, well, now it's the next generation. For me, I don't have anything I can latch on to as one or two or three little takeaways that really resonate. I, I get that there's a lot of moving parts here and they can all be floating around and make this sort of mosaic and, you know, this, this, this quilt of a picture but, but to me, I'm distracted by all these little plots, you know, for example, giants, for example, the, uh, the, the love triangle, you know, for, and then for example, you know, maybe living in his dad's footsteps and sort of the generational thing. Like, so I'm distracted by all these little things and I, I don't know where to look. And I, I don't know if Spike Lee's saying that, um, is there a bigger picture? Cause I don't think there is. I think there's just all these little moving parts so i for me it's hard for any of them to latch on with any meaning because i just feel it's just a bunch of plot driven moments and on their own they're not necessarily insightful because you know i have sometimes these types of issues with with school days but what comes out of that where i quite liked school days is that there are conversations there which were bigger than the plot elements i have takeaways from school days And I guess like I I feel that and there's even some small takeaways that we didn't even talk about much on the uh, uh, on our discussion around school days is, for instance, the, you know, black schools, you know, like who who funds black schools? There's a whole conversation there. Um, And and that was something I was left thinking about after here. I just I feel it's just a a bunch of plots and, you know, forward momentum on the, the love triangle, forward momentum on his career, forward momentum on his conflict with shadow. What's my takeaway? I, I don't feel I have one. I think okay. Well, I, I don't. I, at the risk of, I don't. I don't want to uh, patronize anything in anyone in here. But what I will say is, if you it's look not like for, you, 
if you look for plots or if you think like oh i don't like if if you if you try to rationalize it in like how does it fit into like a three act structure where um this character has to go from go through this kind of arc so it makes sense or it makes dr- dramatically um makes the biggest impact or just or coalesces with the themes or something like that then you may actually get distracted because i feel like imagine this being a fake elevated biography of some some random musician life doesn't get to have like you don't have to have an arc like as a human like carson you don't get to have an arc we have micro arcs you know in what our nick life. did no one said this yeah. no one made yeah. this claim as this was the issue this is exactly what nick did where he was like sorry you all can't like enjoy media and you have to just have a basic <laughs> narrative no one said that was the issue in well, this no, film you, no one has said oh this doesn't follow through no, no, structure what you, what all you, i said was i wish the conflict and plot development was relevant to the thesis of the film it's exactly what i'm saying to where it's making so a exact, relevant that's statement. exactly what i'm criticizing as in as in that it should be relevant. No, I never I, said I, anything. What I'm, what I'm saying though. is, if you're looking for that kind of storytelling, then this you may be setting yourself up for failure because I'm not sure Spike Lee's interested in that. That's kind of what I'm saying. Okay, well, I think if you're making a film that is not like relevant in how it moves a plot, I think you're making a bad film. So I will accept that I think in that way this is a bad. No, feature. I don't. And I think he, I think he is interested in this to a point because you know he he is modeling this off of. School Days is modeled off of uh, musical and the Animal House thing. Like he has films that he likes, and he is using those as as backbones to you know his his stories. Um, but yeah, but then, I mean, I've lured myself into this trap before with Soderbergh, and this is something that we've all, we're almost like primed for. As in, like, but then again, we all I always have to remember that like past performance is not an indication of future behavior either, right? So just because he did this two times doesn't mean like. like in sometimes in the Soderbergh journey, I find myself like, okay, well, maybe it is a mistake to look for like a comp in here. Like, is this that kind of movie, right? Or is he inspired by something? Maybe he isn't. What I see in here, at least what I'm vibing with, is the idea that he's making this movie is weirdly personal. And then as a result of this, I see all these micro plots. I mean, sure, they 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 may be a distraction, but for me, they all they kind of they are these they, they kind of bounce off of this main journey of this character who's kind of like jack says it's an odyssey so he's this, denzel's kind of just this boat in a in a sea and he interacts with these these other other things in here that kind of alter his course but in a very unpredictable and non-linear way so it may be distracting it may be infuriating because it sometimes doesn't make sense or it doesn't add or detracts or so it distracts your attention away. But I feel like this is, he almost weirdly mimics sort of life events in here. So to me, this makes sense in the, in that it doesn't make sense dramatically. Yeah, I mean, without deconstructing to a point of oblivion, I think the one thing you've said, and I, I've reiterated, is that this film is a vibe. And there's there's quite a lot of films where they mm-hmm. try to vibe. I think um, Anna Lily Amapur does, is, is, a, is a filmmaker who also tries to, echo a sentiment of just vibing and we'll get what we get. I think Spike Lee is one of, one of those type of directors, but I think there is a, there's a very much calculated craftsmanship behind it. And so I, I, I do agree with Jakob, but I think there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a notoriety to this of, of, uh, of just like the instruments itself. I don't think this plays as straight-laced as it, it is perceived to be. But in the, in this, in the same, in the same con, con, comment about that, it's then hard to have a 
very much Odyssey type of um, conversation or even just um, story and not feel, not have that sort of feeling where we have to go, not that we have to, but we go through one thing, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and we get to an end. I couldn't understand this does zigzag everywhere, but I think that is Spike Lee, and I think that goes back to the fact that it's what Randy said, writer, coming off, do the right thing, carte blanche, make what you want. I think there's also issues where perhaps he won't have anyone tell I mean, him. He did this as he was working on this, so do the right thing yeah. wasn't a success yet. Yeah, yeah. This, well, right? I'll, well, okay, so, so I'll relent now. I'll, I'll take that back. But I also do think that he's on hot shit, which I think he is anyway. I think contextually he is, I think relatively contemporary is anywhere. But I do think that there's, there's an aspect of him as a person saying, who are you to tell me what to do? Which I think is absolutely fair enough. And then also is that I'm making you money. You sit back there and you relax because I'm, 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 to- I'm tired of being told what to do. Because you know they wouldn't produce school days for the money he wanted, then they give him more, and he made profit on it. So in his eyes, and I think he's fair rightly to say this, you need to step back. The one thing I do want to ask, though, is that to, to, to Randy Carson, I know because one person might have watched it a bit earlier, another etc. etc. But just try to help me here. Then, what is the scene you guys get to, or not just as a scene, but a part of the film? What specifically, if you can do, where you you like, right? I think I'm out here. Where do you get to then? Where is it that you get to a point where you think, ah? I'll, I'll let you go first, Carson. Okay, I'll say the relationship drama. Like, when that comes in, that whole, like, plot element, I, like, check That's out. like 15 um, minutes. That early? To be honest. <laughs> yes. Really? Well, I don't know, because it's, well, it starts off immediately with the father stuff, and it's like, okay, I'm buying it, I'm kind of interacting with it. And then it, like, keeps going, and it just keeps, like, adding new stuff, and then you get to that, and I'm just, I don't know. For me, it's, that's. Wow. So, to, to me, there's a piece here that, um, and firstly, just to say, like, on the point that, you know, Spike Lee is a, a vibe type filmmaker, there's something about this, like, I, I trust myself to vibe with something. And I, I I can admit, like, if I'm not getting it, and I'm on the out, well, that's my that's my loss. But I, I watch enough films, and I sort of know what I, what I vibe with and what I don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, Jakob, I was watching this with, you know, my radars open and scanning and, you know, just putting a lot of thought into this, trying to be aware. Um, and very early on, when the kids start screaming at the window, then there is an artifice to that, as the Jacob, you were saying earlier. So I'm already sort of a little bit on the out because I think we're in a movie that I'm not necessarily going to connect intimately with the characters. It's not going to be an Alton film. It's not going to be a Fosse film. And I'm cool with that. I'm very, very cool with that. Um, but certainly by the time we get into the relationships, I, I feel that that that's a piece here that why are we going back and forth with the relationships is like, I feel that this is okay. This is, she's all that, you know, with the normal gender dynamic, the, you know, the one dog. Uh, I mean, she's got to have it. Oh, she, what did I have? She's all that. Did I just like do again? Like someone I, else I've, said this. I've said this. Yeah. I've said this. Anthony, Anthony okay. Mackie. Yeah. I, I, no longer. Happens to okay. the best of us. Yeah. Randy. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, Anyway, so then we're in this mode, and and then we're 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 following following the you know adventures at the club and wanting to be better. And Sam Jackson shows up as as a thug and a goon, and we've got giants adventures, and we're just sort of all over the map. And I feel that these are all these little mini plots, and totally point taken. Like, yeah, this this is real life, and I I get that, but I'm not connecting with Bleak. I I don't know why. I can't, and I feel it's that 
On one hand, it's a brother's keeper story. On another hand, it's about growing up and being mature and sort of, you know, wrestling with maybe potentially daddy issues. Um, on the other hand, it's, um, you know, dealing with this love triangle. I just, I feel I'm all over the map um, in this way. Whereas the things that I find interesting, the Spike Lee things that I find interesting here are we're seeing a film about a black family in the opening where the mom is insistent on the child practicing and, you know, you're going to get skills, son. And it's a family with two parents who seem to be supporting one another. And it's a middle class, it's a middle class, um, you know, black household in the sixties. This is interesting because I don't get to see this on film. So like, these are the conversations that I sort of vibe with. I don't really care about bleak. You know, when he's an adult, I care more about right. when he's a child. So I'm just on a different <laughs> vibe with this. Jakob, so. can I just can I just take this? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you here, right? I, I cannot believe it. There's a almost. No, no, I'm not angry. Not angry. No, no, no. Sorry. No, and the fact that I I cannot believe that it's taken as we've agreed on a few lot of Spike Lee's. I find it really interesting that me and Jakob agree quite one to one about Spike Lee. That's fucking shocked me. I'm going to say this. Why is it shocking? Because uh, I'm, I'm your brother from another mother. <laughs> yes, yes. You're yeah, Jack Uber. I'm, 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 I'm Jack. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that, yeah, if that's yeah. as far as you want to go. Um, I will say this, right? And I don't know if he agrees with me here. I, I find that the exact thing what I like about this film. I really like how he constructs those relationship dynamics because they're not normal and because he's trying to have a relationship with two women and juggled the career, and he can't have one. I love the dynamic of those these two women. He's, he, he, Spike Lee's sister is the passive. The other woman is the aggressor. She bites his lip. She bites the thing that he's going to make money on. He, he can't. He can't handle it. He's aggressive. He, he, he don't. He don't, don't ever want to kiss her again. It, she, 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 she's the one who comes into his life, who wants the gig, who wants to use her voice. He thinks she's taking it away from him while she's being sensual. There's layers to that. The wonderful echoes of layers. I think how he devises that relationship in the fact that it comes back at these awkward times. Yeah, from his perception, when every time he's making a stride, they will come back. He will see these two women as the most um, brazen, difficult aspects of his life when they come back in that he can't he can't just soar. He thinks that they're bringing him down. He can't get what he wants. He wants them just to be passive, both of them. And I, and I find it really interesting. You can go to more layers about that. With the, with the passive of his sister on screen, that's quite interesting, with his dynamics of gender norms in film, which has always been a bit touch and go. I do find that relationship really interesting is how when it comes back in, when he's doing his massive, his, 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 his big set, and, it, and both women come in the same red dress, wanting want, want him to be like start, taken off his seat, and he comes up to him and he's both, he's, he's quite aggressive, they both take it the same way. Yet, yet one of them is is left and leaves, another one is sort of intertwined with Rosa Snipes' character. It's interesting that I do find it a conscious element that they come into this story at the most incon, in, inconsiderate time towards the, necessarily the viewer, but also in, in conjunction with, with Denzel Washington's character. Now, that might be quite a large reach for me, but that's the way I see that how, how he constructs that. For me, it works. That being said, to play devil's advocate, Oh, I think please he, don't play devil's advocate. I can, I can, I can, Devil I has its own legal counsel. <laughs> Jesus Christ, leave him alone. I, I, don't I, give I, Randy I, and Carson. No, I, I, I can understand. I have to step in. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand though why that would be a deconnective piece of tissue with the, with trying to absorb this film 
because you're either in it and then you're out. You're in it, then you're out. And I think if you're not quite on board with how he's going to craft this character's relationship, or in the fact that it doesn't interest you, which is which is not a problem at all. I think I think you've got to be you've got to see something in there. I think you do push away. I really think you do. But I, I find that the most sort of interesting aspect. And it's also the root of all these issues as well. It's not necessarily issues. If he was just an honest and open person, he wouldn't have to deal with this. He wouldn't have to rectify with, with these costly mistakes. But, the, the, but I do quite like the fact that it's integral and it comes up at these times like, like, it, like, like a bad penny. This is what our character sees these two women as. And ultimately he finds that one of these women his lifeblood, like he goes to marry as a child with her. Like there is this really interesting layers of maturity and lack thereof, you know? I mean, the fact that he puts down the trumpet and he goes to one of these women, he's made his choice. He's probably made his a choice. A year like, later when she's been just sitting apparently waiting for him. But, it, but it, I, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've, yeah. We, we've agreed on this right now. I, I think there's, there's, there are layers how he writes female sex, sexual kit, sexualization. I think there's aspects of where he does sort of, he struggles. He really does. And he's th- it's his biggest probably issue as a writer. Oh, third he, act, continually yeah. Continually he has issues with this. I would recommend anyone goes reads. Um, Bell Hooks has some really good writing on Spike Lee writing women that I find rewarding. Yeah. I think it's been a notion throughout his career as well. It's not just the, the, the interesting stuff. Go on then, Tarquin. <clears throat> Go on. Say what you need to say. Look. <laughs> I mean, not, not you, Jack, specifically, because I agree Thank with you. Thank you. I really Thank agree you. with you. Like the only person in the room for some reason. <laughs> just yeah. with me. Look, it's not it's not failed on me either. It's quite a weird look, time for me at the moment. It's, it, like, I'm gonna, <laughs> it's the classic meme, Jack and Jack. And <laughs> yeah. like, I'm gonna, you know, like I'm gonna cherish these moments because they don't come any. Very no, they often. don't. So no, they don't. I'm gonna say this. Chances are, you guys are just not getting it. But. <laughs> Oh God. specifically yeah. because think about this just logically like you're trying to just like why are these women this and that like why is she waiting these are not real people i think first and foremost like it kind of just start like starts make making more sense if you agree like this whole thing's elevated you're just like oh there's artifice in here why why is this crane so shot so weird why is this woman just peering out of a window like she's in a you know like in a 50s sort of musical right for a reason like the, these are not people these are archetypes these are emotions these are i don't know things objects um all these people are not people they represent other things i think and and i think if you actually start okay pull back and apply i think this movie lends itself to at least a a handful of metaphorical interpretations in here one of which i particularly like And and it comes through in in specific scenes where i just like why can't you not see this like Randy, for instance, like you go, like I don't understand this of like the the the, the parents, the kids, and, you know, and, and everything, and all of a sudden, like this mother hasn't hasn't practiced scales, and the movie bleeds into a scene where he just practices the same same scale, and he and and you can see him all adult uh, using the same passage in a solo in a song, right? He so you can see this this mother is inculcating this practice of art the the virtuosity is something that he he brought out of his out of his upbringing into his art so he all he believes is the is is the art what what his voice is um is is his art right so he doesn't uh, and and his mother didn't allow him to play with kids didn't allow him to be entertained 
to to be a, a human, to be a kid. And at the end, yeah. he makes this choice. And when he's teaching, he has an opportunity to teach his his own son to play the trumpet. And he goes like, no, your lesson's finished now. Go and play with your kids. Because just being an artist and having shit to say is not necessarily, maybe this is a lesson he's drawing as a filmmaker that is not necessarily the, the most important thing just to have shit that's important that you want to say. It's also important to develop other skills, to develop, um, I don't know, the way to speak to people. And you can't really just develop the ability to speak to people while you're practicing skills on your trumpet. You have to actually have to interact with them. So I think this whole movie, if you pull back, it's it's a, it's almost, I think, it maps, I think, Spike Lee's uh, sort of life journey in a, on some kind of an art, like artistic life journey on some kind of a metaphorical plane which I find fascinating to the point that I think I need to sit on this for a little while and I just, I'll never write this 2,000 words about yeah, Pacific Rim. Yeah, oh, never, yeah. because I'll just find other things to do. Like other this. stuff's in the way. I'll say this too, and I guess, and I love that you guys love it. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> I soft I soft like I this. It. It's, totally, it's totally okay. But I too, when I pull back, so I stare at the I stare at the little square on the quilt, and I really like that square. You know, I like this. I like the scene with the the, the parents and you know the kid, and I like the way the kid, you know, talks back. And I, I like the fact that the, you know the the parents are parenting together, and I can stare at this square and appreciate it. I can stare at this other square and appreciate. It. But when I pull back, I I feel similar to Carson that like the skeleton with which you need to hold together all these pieces of flesh isn't there and yeah so i, I hear you but again <sighs> forest and trees vibing. failed to Jacob. see the forest for the trees and meanwhile me and jack were just having a lovely time in the forest Jacob, we, we've lost I carson. Hate camping Jacob, we, we, we've lost carson carson's a lost cause to us we might still get Randy. We might still get him. Because I can tell you right now. I appreciate you both are like, Carson is too dumb. No, no, not at all. Like, not at all. Yeah, Jakob, just, was like, Jakob was like, I have no faith in Carson. It's, not it's just a, there's a historical precedent of you not, not not being able to change your mind on podcast. You will almost double down into to just, you know. I do change my mind every time I um, come on Uncut Gems, to be honest. I drop the movie a star but, after talking yeah, about it. Yeah. So I change my mind. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Clappercast, Clapper I change my mind and I go from four to five on here. I go oh, from that, four to three. Evil. So I but do change That's what we're, that we're saying. Like we're, we're, we're trying to convince you to go up. You will just double down and go down. Meanwhile, Randy has... There's, present, there's precedence that we could turn Randy around. That's I do, true. I do and think it's interesting. I entered this conversation with that as an option because I'm sort of I'm here, but I, I I'm not I'm I'm not changing. Like, and I love that you guys love it. And oh no, know, I don't if, I don't love it. If jazz just ain't my thing, then I'm cool with that too. But I I, I think I'm but, happy for anyone who likes any movie. Yeah. You know, I'm happy <laughs> yeah. that anyone yeah. go like Madame Web or Madame Web. I don't really give a fuck yeah. what you do. So I'm happy for you guys. I will say yeah, this. I, just, I hear yeah, you. Just for the record, I'm, I'm, I don't have any intention of watching Madame Web. So. Yeah, yeah, you, you'll, you'll, you'll you give it four. Yeah. Don't act yeah. like you wouldn't. I do think it's... Uh, it's too words. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> 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 that is rich. <laughs> that is rich. <laughs> I will say this. 
The yeah, way, we the just way... watched all the airport sequels. Yeah, I, I watched to... Concord before I watched <laughs> Madame Wen. <laughs> no, no, uh, that, that's a fucking George Kennedy shooting flares out of a supersonic uh, flight when he's opened a window is way better to me. Uh, way I, th- of I think I, 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 I'll, I'll be giving a to watch Dakota Johnson playing in the uh, Terminator or something. I'll, how am I making a phone call if that's the case? But I do think it's interesting that you describe this film as as artificial. Not not um, as a as a, okay, as a, a no no not as a derogatory. I think you 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 utilize that to see these characters as such, which I think it, they, I don't I, I don't see it as that. But I, I think that if that's the way you see, it, that's fine. I just think that that way of describing it comes at a, 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 not a derogatory, but for for people to listen to this or, or, or for these two as well, these two. <laughs> As a, like, scum, like scum, um, I, I just, I just think that, that to describe, well, yeah, to, to describe it as artificial. I think you, I think you, you do lead in, <laughs> these people. Yeah. I just think that to describe it as artificial, artificial, I do think you sort of lead into that to that argument where that's exactly what they're both saying. I think it, it comes at a cost too far removed from being personal. I think, I think it's, I, I'm in the middle between you three. But I do think, Jacob, you're, you're far more removed than, than I am a little bit more to the four and the fives. Because I, I think you see this as a manufactured um, ex, expose almost. Whereas I think that comes at probably a, a, an issue of this being not commercial, but um, engaging. I think once once someone sees the artificialness in it and is like, eh, eh, I think that is a massive just like, I'm out. I think you can appreciate it. I think that's what they both said, not to speak for you both. But I think that's what, what we're getting here. There's like an appreciation for the material, but because it's their artificial nature to it, I just don't think there's enough time wanting to spend in this 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 dynamic because of that actuality that you've said. And I sort of I, I can I can come to terms with that a little bit. That's where the second half for me comes into play, where I'm like, if it isn't for Wesley Snipes and it isn't for sort of Denzel Washington just literally riding this on the coat. I was like. Like that guy, that guy could like, honestly, it's it's a really good performance. It really is. It's sort of magical. It's endearing. It's everything. Without that, I think if this comes a little bit earlier, I think this film does then struggle. But it does have that charismatic charm and that wonderful nature to it, where you do get engaged because of the performance rather than the character. Will you disagree with that? Um, I suppose you're right. I mean, I would say probably like what what would maybe dissuading some people. These people, okay. yeah. I mean, I don't mean I, that derogatory. Sorry. I, mean, right. I, th- I, I think I suppose like it's it's a good point. I think Carson mentioned at this point, like three and a half days ago, um, about Babylon being a nice company here because Babylon has a, a similar sort of um, ideas in terms of uh, in terms in terms of density, but it does it. But but say I mean it works for me just as well because I think Babylon's fantastic, right? But it has a different energy. And I think it actually, it's, I think the, the difference is it's a bit more accessible because it has very specific, almost elongated scenes where it takes you on a journey with it. Say the scene where Marco Robbie um, is, they, they do their first, I think it's the first talkie, for instance. It's an extended scene with comedic beats and everything. So it, this whole uh, micro sort of drama in there almost can take you on a journey and there's more such journeys in this film right meanwhile in here i think this movie lends itself a little bit more towards again maybe this is maybe this is almost like a let's just say ironic reading on the film because 
it lends itself to not getting it because you actively have to read into it just a tiny bit more. And if you're if you're not prepared to do this because you 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 you, you find that say a film should actually do this thing a little bit like extend a hand to me and do something some certain things a little bit more overtly or just make better choices then great you know which i suppose this will be the, this, the ironic part is this is where i think this is why I, spike lee may be getting anger because like why are you not getting it because not everyone's prepared to go into the jazz club and listen for how that minor seventh you know has a very wide dissonance with the with the sharp 11th or shit like that you know not everyone's on that wavelength right and if you're not then all, like always like you're not you're not getting half of this shit like a, a jazz solo goes over people's heads unless you really pay attention and you have done your homework right i think this may be and, it and this is not a and care, it, it is, right and this is a vibe thing too yes and this is not a question of like oh i'm better than you because i can read into this no it's a question of uh personal taste and personal wavelengths as in like you vibe like again like what jack says like you vibe with this a little bit differently right and some people will just respond to the different music and or different film taste whatever so i don't know like if you're into taylor swift great if you're into i don't know the rolling stones great it you're and no one's gonna i mean unless you're 15 it's like gosh you're into stones you fucking idiot like like you're you're allowed to have your own taste right and that's it right because i like this is coming from the world champion of reading into shit way deeper than like no one ever would would need to right i this is the kind of movie that i dig because I see these moments, these little moments that kind of start adding into a picture for me. Say so when Denzel Washington has, um, like, sees that Wesley Snipes is soloing over the song for like three and a half minutes, and he goes like, "Oh shit, he's soloing!" And then he comes in, and he start, and he matches his solo, and he redirects it to the theme of the song. So that's like, "Stop doing what you're doing. It's my song. We're doing it my way." So I'm Spike Lee, bitch. Stop stealing my my thunder. We're doing it my way. He makes these choices in here. He ma- he puts these little comments in people's mouths like, why are not people coming into, into these shows to listen to my voice? And at the end, go and go and play with your with your kid friends. He's not making it a, a thesis that you can latch onto. It's like, oh, this is what this film's about. He makes these little comments here and there. He peppers this movie with these comments. And if you're not prepared to look for these and, and appreciate that, they're not making sense as a whole because they don't connect to something, then you'll just be distracted and annoyed. And that's fine. That's just probably not not, not necessarily for you. It's great. I dig that. I vibe with this because I, I've like I, the way I've like I for instance, I vibe with jazz music probably more than say like an average bear, for instance, right? So I like that kind of shit. And I see I see rhythm in, in certain things. I see um melody where people see I hear melody where people hear noise and that's fine that's that's kind of what what Jang said it's a it's a vibe thing I'm vibing with this great and then I think at least we can all agree that Denzel Washington is amazing in it I hope fingers crossed yes (sighs) on that note I think we just and we, Wesley Snipes and Wesley Snipes. We hardly, ha- we hardly, we hardly talked about Wesley Snipes, okay. but Wesley Snipes. Here's a dude Tell who's a fine actor. 
here's a dude who's a fine actor with incredible presence and uh he, he's doing incredible work in here in a drama so he, it's not just about you know passenger 57 and blade and everything else that he becomes like i think he's he wasn't actually truly special in here drama. he's also he's also in um, ferrara was he in no yeah, he's in King of New York. He plays the cop. Oh, what? okay. He's the meme where he cries and he's like shooting it. The Tony Hawk mm-hmm. meme. Yeah, anyway. and he does comedy in uh, Major, <laughs> Major League, League and uh, White Men Can't Jump. So uh, he's a talent and, uh, you know, like I really like him in here. I like his dynamic with uh, Denzel Washington. So yeah, they're sparring partners and they're at one another's throat quite a bit because they, they, they're at odds with one another's philosophies on on music and how they are conduct business and relationships but then at the same time snipe stands up for him and says you know i'm not going to let my uh you know my my friend here lie lie down and like so like really really touching and you know even though they have all this conflict they're friends and and uh, the conversation jacob that you keep going to which and i just for what it's worth, I think it's I think it is an interesting conversation where they're talking about well, you'll get more people in here if you just play what people like, and no, oh, well, I've I've got my own vision. Like it is, it's a great scene, and Snipes is amazing in it. Uh, so yeah, I really like Wesley Snipes as a performer. I always have, but you know, just to see the acting chops in here, it's nice because his you know his career has turned out how it's turned out, and he's you, you know. In some ways, he's, he's a bit of a punchline, but at, but at the same time, like you know, it all started with a great deal of talent, and it's on display. In here. Shadow is uh, Sidney Poitier telling telling young Spike Lee to make to make the color purple if purple if he wants people to watch his shit. I'll I'll say this to to play hypothetical here, right? Yeah. Take, take take the last three four decades out, right? Let's look at this in 1989 when it's released, or 1990, sorry, when it's released. Out of the two, Snipes and Washington, who do you see have the betting have, having the better career out of the two performances you see on the screen? Washington. Oh, I think Washington because he's also the 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 known commodity who's just won the Oscar in a great performance, as I recall. It's been decades since I've seen it. Um, but at the same time, like like Snipes is oh, wasn't he in Major League? So like he's known, but he like he hasn't so he hasn't Washington, made his name. Uh, when was Glory? 1989? 88? 89. So he yeah, was 89. already Oscar nominated by that time, right? So I'll say this. Oscar winner. Oscar winner. I, I, so I, I, I think you, you, you see Washington in this and you see as someone charismatic and you see someone who can play devilish charm really well. And I think if you're going to have a lead actor who you want for that, I think Washington's the standout. So you'd pick Washington. That being said... I always think of this, and I find that the American Express sequence where he comes in, look at the Swedish snaps, looking like an absolute bag of shit, trying to look like something he's not. But the American Express cards, like that, with the charm, the big smile, the sunglasses in the middle of the day, like in, in, in this room. And indoors, she's not to, yeah. Yeah, indoors. She's not taking any of his shit. <laughs> I, 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 I see not, not only a performance there, but I see, I see a, an actor who's willing to um, be uh, churned, and, and, and changed and um, crafted into something he can be here, there, and everywhere. I think his choices were probably misaligned with not doing t- not doing enough drama and doing the action stuff and then a little bit of comedy. But I think he complements Washington quite well in the sense of that I think Washington couldn't play this Snipes character. He could play it, but he not as well because it's rugged and it's, ru- it's, it's a bit rough around the edges and it will act so much more... 
because it's all about this thing. This film's all about showcasing an ideal of an identity that you're trying to trying to evoke. And it's what 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 is then perceived as such. And I think Snipes' character is 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 slick, a little bit slimer, um, very egotistical. But when it comes down to to him trying to charm this woman, he sort of can't do it. He, he sort of fails at it. He's, he's, he's a bit charms a bit bit cringeworthy. But there's something about it that I find quite engaging, quite quite personal in, the, in that I think as a performer he can come down to that level and he can make it work and engage I don't think you can make what I don't think you could have Washington come down to that level and be be awkward because he's, he's so refined and so charismatic I think he, I'm not going to try to suggest his one note but I do think there's a level of snaps that Washington can't do that being said I don't think snaps has a level to do the emotive way that Washington does this back end of this film I don't think Snipes could get to could go onto that uh, theatre at the end, play those bum notes, and walk away from it. I think he'd do it in a different way. So I can see why. Both, oh god, my chair just broke. Then, God, oh, sorry. <laughs> so I can. Uh, it's just the weight of this podcast. I think. Step away um, from the cake. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I have to check that. But yeah, there's um, there's definitely um. There's definitely horses for courses here. Put the spoon down. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm just that Guinness. It's gone to my head. But um, but no, I can understand why both of them had a, a relatively good career. Um, well, let's just say I, I think that did map, maps almost perfectly. I, I I can see this with my mind's eye. This is my just like this is me just being completely out of my uh, out of my rocker because it's like you know. Shadow is all about the money and money and money. It's like, I need to be paid more. Wow. And it's like, Snipes got done for not paying his taxes. So, <laughs> so you know, it's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they very much echo the characters as, as they're being cast, I agree. I think Washington's a lot more clinical with the choices he's made. Very ne- Never made a sequel until Equalizer 2. We'll leave that there. Snipes is someone who Which would reiterate. Yeah, well, <laughs> Snipes is someone who will reiterate the sort of same type of um, technique. It's someone who's quite skillful in martial arts, wanted to be that type of character. But with, what does he drama, do? He does what people like. Yeah, I'm telling you. I, yeah, makes I, I, perfect I, sense. Yeah, I think I think the complement each other very life. well. It's you heard it here first, kids. Film. <laughs> I, I would just have. I would have just liked to have seen. Um, I would have just liked to have seen Snipes do a lot more dramatic work with um, with with, uh, with Spike Lee because I know I know he, he comes in here there and everywhere a few bits down later the line, uh, but it wasn't really until Chirac where he comes back into the conversation. Like I think uh, is he in Jungle Fever. I, I, I think yeah. he's in Jungle Fever. Oh, well, yeah, Snipes! I think so. Yeah, that's Snipes. And so, he has one called Water Dance too. So like he's. You know he's he's still working on his craft even in the middle of in the mid nineties and two thousands when he's moved on to, uh, you know, killing vampires and stuff. Like he he falls back to, is it uh, Tu Wong Fu, the Julie Newmar and like he, he does other things. That's so a great like, film, by the way. Mm. Never did see that, but but yeah, it's the water good. dance was supposed to be pretty good, or at least he was too. So. It's interesting Jacob anyway. said about that the career trajectory compared to this film. It's fucking horribly accurate. The clinical, uh, very stoic Denzel Washington. Three sort of Denzel's all about the art, the elevation, the sort of like. And meanwhile, just Wesley Snipes is a passenger fifty-seven. He's like Simon something in in Demolition Man. No, that, that <laughs> he does what people like. 
But I will say Art this versus though, commerce and, and has always cares, been a theme that's been there, though. And he cares about the money so much that he goes like, "Why is the, why should the taxman take my shit?" Okay. Well, well, <laughs> moving away from that slightly, I do think it's interesting that I go back to that. I think it's just well cast. I think this whole film is yeah. really well cast, and I, 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 it's a very rare compliment to say that everything here is well done. Because I think even if in the contemporary stuff now, you can say, "Well, that she might be miscast, he might be miscast." And stuff like that, or the, the, the material's not hitting them. It, it's actually quite a rare um, thing to point out in a Spike Lee film as, as a far. I think he's pretty much nailed the aspect of he never gives um, a really big actor within 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 relevance here, because granted, when he goes to Inside Man and Old Boy and stuff like that, but he's not someone who would take away from the character by giving it to a massive star. That partly might be down to him not wanting to, to deal with ego. And also partly of, well, I don't want anyone to sort of deal, uh, to take away from my character, my stories. And he is a really good blend. Mm -hmm. I think that he would be more interested in propping up um, a black actor in the community. Take Wesley Snipes from Major League. Here's a guy I know to be talented. I'm glad he's a working actor in the system, but... I, I can give him this role and really let him work out his chops. And, uh, you know, I think he started doing that with Denzel here too. What, what other uh, leading man roles does Denzel have uh, around this time? Well, he has, he has two out. Oscar nominations. Like Cry Freedom was a nom, Glory was a, was a win. Both supporting though, right? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. I think they were both supporting. Like he's the man and he's established, no he's, question. But he's the man. Um, he's not... Malcolm X material. Well, yet, just right? give him like, two years. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean. Like this, this is a film that is sort of helping, I think, Washington sort of become a leading man. Especially, especially in the, in the, could you imagine the hype at the time? Like when Malcolm X gets announced, it gets announced that he's playing that role. Like there are scenes in this film where I feel like you can feel the camera and Spike Lee like falling in love with Denzel yes. Washington. Like I just think it would be lit. Mm -hmm. It would be incredible to be like, oh, like the hype I would have for him getting a performance of that like weight um, and that density. I would really like. It must have been I mean, awesome. It just goes to show how Spike, Spike Lee's sort of influence on his community, this is something that Randy has been championing, championing all throughout this, of this marathon since we started this, that he looks at his community and he just tries to pull people in, into the limelight, and give them the time of day, kind of sort of almost like Wesley Snipes does with Clark, almost, right? He's just, look, stand in here and do your stuff and someone's going to notice, right? Because he does Malcolm X, he... Well, he does. He he gets Denzel Washington to star in here, then he gets him to do Malcolm X, and only after Malcolm X. And this is me just now double checking. Say, so he he plays all these sort of secondary characters until more better blues almost, and then he goes um, later on Malcolm X, and then from then on, the Pelican Brief leading mm -hmm. character, Philadelphia Crimson Tide, all so, leading performances. Spike. So Spike Lee, I'm I'm going to say took Denzel to another level, took Snipes to another level. Yeah, so it's almost like this. There will be he, others. He's this, yeah. Spike Lee's movies are kind of this springboard for, for these folks, right? And, and it's almost up to them where they want to jump off. As in, like, Wesley Snipes then jump, jumps into the forefront of genre. He Like, in 1992, he stars opposite Stallone. So, there, there he is. But he, he jumps almost in a different direction, 
he he was already there. He was like a secondary character in in a in a Ferrara film, right? And then does he, he got, find does, does yeah. he find any? Sorry to interrupt. Does he find anyone close to this later down the road? Is this just the magic in the bottle? One is enough. To two is a fucking extravagance. But he found Giancarlo Esposito one before. He'll mm-hmm. utilize him again. I think because he tried to do it with Anthony Mackie in 04, mm, didn't work. Because I, I think that film's particularly not not put. But I don't want to say he does it again with. Hmm. John Sam David Washington. But I don't yeah. think John David Washington has has much of a cultural footprint mm-hmm. before Black Klansman. I think he's 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 That's he's true. a working actor. And Man, he, he, worked, he, worked, he was in Ballers on HBO with The Rock. He, he played the support for all five seasons. He's, I think he's he's in that if you've seen it. I, but I would agree with you. I think that then he doesn't get Tenet without that. He exactly. Get, he does he, Black Klansman and all of a sudden he jumps into... Maybe that's a good thing. Everything that he's doing now. And I would say, just a baller lineup there, yeah. Tenet, Malcolm and Marie, but these are so, so, sort of like, I don't want to say type A movies, but movies that will will be seen and he and he is a leading performance in it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. What about um, the guy we don't mention, um, JM with Defy Bloods? That felt like another one where it was like a step. Not that he found him, but give him a platform but like, shit, like this is an actor now. Because... Last Man in San Francisco is one of them, but that is a mm-hmm. different breed. Um, because he because he uses because he again Del Delon Roy as well. Delroy Lindo would be another one yeah. because he then he then comes back he comes in to play the dad Cro- in Crooklyn. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Like I'm just quickly checking whether Delroy Lindo is in Clockers. He's in Clockers yeah. later. Um, he does. He doesn't. It's a moment in time here. I think that's a bottle. But it's then again, like, like oh, Dale Rindle is a, is a character actor, so he always is the, also sort of the second fiddle. Yeah, he's a primary support as well. Yeah. But it feels. It does feel like the De Niro and um, not even the Scorsese. I think that's more so. Yes, but I also feel like it's the De Palma and, and De Niro as well, as well. Where, but De Palma finds him. Per, positions him up to showcase what he can do, then someone else takes him in the wings. I think without Spike Lee in this, I don't think you see Tony Scott elevating him to the to, to the more the commercial, to the the action star, to the commercial um in house performer. And I think without Tide. Spike without Spike Lee and this, I think Sam Jackson probably doesn't get cast in pulp fiction. Probably. Like I, I think he's sort of, yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. Like I think that Tarantino has, you know, a lot of respect for for Spike Lee and well, gets the lines in, from, scene from his films, right? Yeah, so I think there might be Lime's a piece there too. We'll get there because there's a lot of um, Spike Lee's the giant maker, man. Well, when we when we get to Malcolm X, we'll get back to that. There's there's the um, yeah Denzel Washington sort of um, commercial appeal that Tony Scott gives him that this of the action hero sheen. But he doesn't get to star in Crimson Tide without being in Malcolm X and everything else, right? Yeah. So the one the one thing he of... hasn't had. Sorry, the one thing hasn't he's elevated to his male stats. He's never quite nailed the female centric performance. Has he's never, perhaps with his writing um, skill, more so married to the fact that he personifies in his lead actor. He doesn't yeah. ever sort of take on board that next level. And there's a lot of there's a lot of mainstream that don't do that anyway. I'm not just naming. Yeah, we'll we'll for see that. in Jungle Fever um, <sighs> as an example, but I I tend to agree with that just from what I've seen. He's had ample choice to do it as well. 
Yeah, not he's had ample choice. Not, nothing, and this may be controversial, but I'm not necessarily thinking that this is anything to be like, oh, why doesn't he... It, it's, it's almost like a, like a, I don't know, sticks out like a sore thumb. Because I think on one hand, Spike Lee is an extremely personal f- writer, I've director. Said this, right? Yeah, yeah I've said, yeah. I, I agree with anything you're just about yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. it's... It's, yeah, just, it's just a comment. It's not, it's not, yeah. So he almost like focuses. So his character, the characters that he intimately feels connected to would be male characters. So totally. Yeah. So I'm just, that's, I'm literally that's just fine. That. So, you know, like in, in, in all, in like, I wouldn't necessarily expect like Ava DuVernay to kind of just like, why hasn't she just elevated a male character? It's like, did I find this sexist? Like, no, just Jesus, like do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, to counterpoint, there is Crooklyn, which I think has multiple, at there'll least be some, yeah, there'll be some examples. And I wonder if Jungle are... Fever, you said you didn't watch Jungle Fever yet, Carson? Cause Annabelle is yours in that, um, you know, prominently. So I think we'll yeah, but I think it. what we're all all saying is the uh, like there is no female equivalent of Denzel Washington getting springboarded into sort of sure. full on stardom, but in a in a from a from from a female perspective, right? Like the, there is no actress that he would then springboard into the same level, and then maybe maybe it's a question of something that's more systemic in that the springboard's there. But it doesn't get you far if you're not a man in Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Maybe and that's that might be because I was thinking Annabella Shiora was a bit of a thing briefly in, in the nineties, right? But but she came up against the Halle Berry would probably be the, co- the the closest one, right? Oh. I think she's a bit part and even the last Boy Scout, she's a bit part. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't really get big until what? X Men? And even then, she's like, wouldn't pay oh, anything for her. Yeah, Flintstones and uh, Swordfish. <laughs> I remember her from the Flintstones. That was great. Everyone remembers her from Swordfish. Jesus Christ. Well, well anyway. <laughs> it's one scene, yeah. and I don't, yeah. I don't even know. And then from yeah. there, it's like Monster's Ball, and everyone's just like, ugh. <sighs> anyway, I think it's time to wrap this up now. I think we've Let's we've argued for long enough about this. We're we're not changing Carson's mind. Randy's like unsalvageable in here. Like he's just like now playing 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 good guy in here. <laughs> they all hate it. So tell us, tell okay. Well, let's just round the table. How much do you hate this movie out of five? And you know, is it an uncut <laughs> gem? Is it not? Carson, you go first. I'm gonna give it three out of five. I don't hate it. I think, you know, like, I don't know. It, the narrative got, narrative got painted that I really dislike the film. I think it's quite good. I think it's just missing that next step. Is it an uncut gem? I'm going to go with no in context of what is in this mine they were in with Spike Lee. Um, but I definitely don't think it's like a rotten piece of coal or anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Jack, let's just break. I like, mean to cut through the richness in here. Just, we'll just, zigzag <laughs> here. Uh, I, I think this is a gem. I think this is a hidden piece within his work, which actually says a lot more about him as a filmmaker, a lot more about his skill, about his touch, about his sensitivity. There are there are bits here where he gets misaligned. I think his final act is a bit shoddy, and I think how he tries to get finality here is an issue that seems to be in everything we've seen so far. It's just not quite organic and it's a distance to what's come before it that being said i love the layers to this i love how it's shot that first hour god like some stuff he does with a camera i'm like oh my god like you're in love you're in love with the material and i love that i love that intoxication of craft when someone who is directing and editing and and shooting is like 
just enamoured with, with, with who's on screen. And like Carson said, I think he, he sort of falls in love with Denzel Washington on screen. I think he sees him as his Spencer Tracer and shoots him as such in the, one of the most captivating um, eyes manageable. I think the, the tone is wonderful. There's a lot here to say. It's not overly political, uh, his other work, but it's, it's a very stellar piece of work. I'll go quite strong four here. It's not the five because of issues we've mentioned. There's a little nibble in the middle where I'm not like, uh, and then I just don't like the landing here. I think it's a very strange. I think that he's bookmarked it and he has to reach point A to point B, and I think that comes at an issue of what we could do with it. But it's definitely a, a, strong, a strong four for me. Right. Randy, your turn. Okay, so we're zigging and zagging, so we're going to zag down a little bit here. Um is this an uncut gem? Yeah, it is. This is a beautiful film. Ooh. Everyone should see it. Like it is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Uh, so Are it is something that around? people should. No, no, settle down. Um, <laughs> uh, people should check this out. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's it's two and a half stars for me. It's just sort of on that borderline. Whoa! It's a, you know, we need it's to a C plus. <laughs> it's a C plus. It's it's just sort of on the downside. But I've got to call it an uncut gem because people should see this because this is one of the best looking films go to five years on either side of this and just within this era. So from 85 to 95, try to find a better looking film. I, I don't know. Like um, anyway, so yeah, it, it's very special in that way. It's just for me, the, the rich conversations that were there and she's got to have it and school days, they're not here. And I, I'm only disregarding um, do the right thing because we're sort of watching them and, talking about the mode of sequence um that richness that resonates with me didn't resonate with me with with this so i'm just left with all these little mini plots and i didn't really connect with this this character arc and uh so yeah i've, I've got my issues with this but people should definitely check it out for me yeah it's i'll call it an uncut gem because people have to see it um but yeah it's just a two and a half starer okay zigging back up to Jacob. Did you hear the ambulance pull up? <laughs> it's nice no. not to have that after no, me not. speaking, to be fair. So no, um, like, this I week is worth it this week. I can't believe what I'm hearing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll have to I have to make a statement. I actually just now went and corrected my letterbox entry for this. This is a five out of five. It's a hidden <laughs> masterpiece. Okay. When Yakim feels he has to it's dig a, in his heels. I have to, <laughs> like, this is, again... Like when when people are presented with con- with with contra- incontrovertible evidence, they change their minds. No, they don't. They dig in. So, <laughs> so five out of five. This is a fantastic piece. It's colorful. It's lush. It's beautifully put together. It's extremely purposefully put together, and it's perfect. It's it's like jazz. Okay, <laughs> let's just put it that way. No, it's a it's a beautiful piece of um of of cinema that's complex it's really weird occasionally and i fully appreciate it if you, if you don't vibe with this alaikum. i don't that, suppose it's not for you but i keep thinking about this more and more and it's a it's a beautiful conglomeration of character and drama and thematic sort of richness that it's almost impossible to encapsulate in a single conversation and to have this as your fourth film as well in a, in 
a following at least at least two movies that are better conversations than the films themselves in in my in my opinion even even though they are all extremely accomplished and extremely um uh purposeful as well this is the this is the movie you make this is the movie as a filmmaker you make after after a stunning success where you have stuff to say and and you hope people are listening because nothing's out of place in here and if you it, it, i just don't accept that criticism and sorry it's like oh just you know no no everything's everything's exactly how it needs to be it's just a question of whether you whether you agree with with, with what what the filmmaker is trying to do or not and it's just what it is but to me this is a phenomenal sort of engaging staring piece about art, about cinema, about music, about the black experience, about the roots of of, of American culture, about um, Spike Lee's life himself, all this and and, and more is just in just hundred and thirty minutes. Fantastic! To- it's not even an uncut gem. It's a movie that people should actively seek out, and then immediately switch off thirty minutes in, thinking like I actually don't like jazz that much. So, <laughs> but yeah, maybe there's one out of uh, out of a hundred who will go like, "Yeah, this is this is this rocks," and this is something I will say, you know, like this movie's for you, and I'm happy you're here. Okay, good, that's me. Top threes, Carson, give us your top threes. Um, kind of covering stuff we've already talked about. There is the scene where um, Denzel Washington is talking. Um, to Giant about how much money he owes, and there's this really great moment that feels like improv in there, and specifically though in that scene with how the film frames him, with how the film focuses on his smile and his energy. I feel like that's the scene where I say that this movie falls in love with Denzel Washington, and it's really hard to argue against it. Um, that was a really big one for me. Um, oh, uh, the scene where Left brings his girlfriend backstage, I think that's when you want to talk about building character, building um, camaraderie, building um relationships i think that is like a fantastic scene that really sticks my mm-hmm. mind and then the third one i was really struggling with a specific scene so this is a cop-out but i don't really care um just overall the visuals dude <laughs> the camera the lighting it's like it really is just gorgeous probably spike lee's best directorial work um just really i mean you can't get much better than this i really just like i agree with randy like even though i didn't say it was an uncut gem i think everyone needs to see it for that visuals and for those technical um elements alone because they really are something special lovely 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 jack you're three or more do you have more give us more. Uh, no I, I always always play to the rules um I'm going to sort of uh, just say a lot of what I've just said beforehand and what we've all echoed, but me, me and Jakob have anyway. Um, that number three... Um, Get a room. The, 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 yeah, well, this is a one-in-a-lifetime one you oh, taking it. Um, oh, but, um, God. Uh, I think the backroom bullshit scene where they're all in the back room before they go out on the show and they're just talking shit to each other, the camaraderie, the charisma, how he shoots it like he's just sat in the back listening to it as well. I think it's brilliant. I just think generally how the writing there is so sharp, so quick, so witty. You can tell that Spike Lee's dictating it, it, it consciously through the conversation. And then it just feels real. It personifies that connection we need to see when we, when everything breaks down before and when it gets murky with wo- uh, women, gets murky with uh, money, all these things that come to, to, to get in the middle of what, what they see to, to be truth in, in doing jazz. Um, so I like that one. Um, 
I mentioned this before, but the second one is is that when he's on the piano and he's he's figuring out that that song about 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 love and stuff like that, and she's talking in the background, and he and it and it has this shot of him just will not move, will not stifle, sort of stagnates on him, and then it cuts back to her like talking. It goes out out of, out of audio, in and out, in and out, in and out, and um, she just it goes deaf on it, but you can still hear him talking. It's going over his mind. It's just he's not interested. He's pulled out. That's that. That's how much he's indoctrinated in, in into, into making this work. How much his art means to me, him. How much his voice, how much his mind, his talent. I thought it's a wonderful echo of the sentiment throughout the film because he, he that that relationship is doomed. He, 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 you can say what you want, you can feel how you want. That relationship is doomed. He's chosen something over her. It's so apparent. He's just blocked her out. She's there talking about anything in the day. I thought it was genius to do that. I thought it was really really good texture on the scene. But number one. That makeout scene is like, God, like that. He did it. In, he did it in. Um, She's got to have it. No, it's not that one, is it? Yeah, it is. It is that one, isn't it? That's the correct film. Yeah, where he uses. He black... did it in He Got Game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he does. He, he, he has. He has, a, he has a scene where, where there's black texture, black skin, and just the sensuality of it. And you see these two, and we we will roll around. He, he will not cut away. We want, he wants us to watch it. And it's not perverted. It's not voyeuristic. It's sensitive. It's sensual. It's it's genuinely sort of dazzling to watch. Is that just one movement where we're just intertwined that we observe them. They are our, gra- they are our gravitational pull. We follow them. We're intertwined with them. Oh, God. It's like, if Scorsese had made that, it'd be on Twitter all the time. Um, but the fact that it's Spike Lee and people have got an issue... I think it just gets put to one side, but I think it's gorgeous. That's exactly what the what the film's problem is, right? Yeah, Scorsese it, does this. <laughs> well, he did. He did well, he, he did. He, he did in nineteen seventy seven, and he, and he got absolutely fucking bombed for it, didn't it? Not seventy seven. Is it nineteen seventy nine? New York, New York. He got devoured for it. But those are my top three. Um, there's loads of moments in here, but the small textures he puts in this is like, mm. oh, it's dazzling. Legend, Thanks. Randy. Cool. So just an honorable mention, I I do love the crane shot where giants walk into the club and he nearly gets hit by a car and he slaps the hood of the vehicle. I'm walking here. The Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. Cowboy reference. Yep. Yeah. So and I think this is just to me, this exemplifies that also something we haven't mentioned. I don't think this episode, I don't think we have at least um, like this guy just loves movies. Right. And he grew up in the sort of the 70s. And that's sort of probably where he matured as a you know, sort of a, a film geek. So this type of thing is in here. I think there might be these little touches uh, of Fosse here and there. I, I think too, the the banter in the 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 change room, the dressing room, I think that is all Altman. Like, I, I think that he's very much influenced by the 70s. So anyway, I just wanted to mention him walking across the street. Um, I really like Young Bleak in the opening i I gotta say like i think he's a very uh, powerful kid and he goes and yells at the window i'll come out when i finish my lesson and i think he's got a lot of conviction for a young actor so and i really like that that moment in in general like with the family so i'll mention that scene like jack i really love the i'm calling it the rotato cam where the camera and the actors are are on this uh whatever it is and they're just spinning around we get it with the the Bleak and Clark uh, sex scene, that's great. We also get it, though, with Denzel imagining his music and the camera spinning and Denzel and this great close-up. Fantastic. Um, and I really, really like the moment where the relationships fall apart. 
um, where Bleak calls each of them by the wrong name. The editing there is so fantastic. It, it just blends these scenes together uh, and it's just perfect. It says a lot. It's, it's very uh, clever, but it's also, you know, casually and slickly done. I really, really, really love that. So those up are it, mine. Up it to a three. Come on. Come on. I'll leave it there. You know, I'm always open to change my mind, but I just haven't been so compelled. <laughs> so two two and a half it stands for now. <laughs> All right. Jakob, you must have had three. I, I did have three. Um, also, in that scene you just mentioned, like it doesn't necessarily help. I mean, it helps the uh, the scene, the confusion, that the two actresses from a certain angle look very much alike. Because they're also like, they have hair styled in a very similar way. So it's almost just like, which one is he talking to? (laughs) Anyway. Um, Okay, I've got a little thing which just made me giggle because it's actually a a smart piece of writing comedy is when it's just, when Giancarlo Esposito goes like, is it because she's white? She went to Sorbonne. You know know what Sorbonne is? Sorbonne is what you get on the 121st Street. Oh my God. Okay. It took me like 30 seconds to get like, ah, I get it. <laughs> Sore bone. <laughs> well, you know. Um, and I was just thinking, this must be a written joke because it's too good to just come out. Um, so I've got one. I absolutely adore, just, just this is an encapsulation of just the music on, in this film, but the moment where Wesley, as mentioned this before, Wesley Snipes, Snipes solos on the sax and, um, Denzel comes back and reel him in, reels him in. Great moment. Really love when when that was it when Denzel Washington's conceptualizing this piece and actually shows okay how much he thinks about what's gonna work where and he has this music in his head so he does so he plays chords on the piano and in his and, and with his mouth and his fingers he goes while the camera is kind of on the sort of what we now call the Spike Lee dolly even though I think it's a Bob Fosse dolly because it wasn't all that jazz. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that. Uh, and the best moment, dramatically, is when he comes onto the stage at the end and Wesley Snipes gives him a hug. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a powerful little moment. Just two seconds when he just comes and welcomes him on stage. Just like I have a, you know, just to give him this shot of like, look, you've been out in the weeds or whatever wrestling with, with your demons and he realizes that he doesn't have it anymore such a powerful moment love it was that three i think that was three good one that last one's a good one yeah <sighs> carson bottoms yeah so i mean again i mean much of the things we kind of already talked about um i kind of struggled with this because even though i have faults it's not really with specific scenes again um but there are a few bleak reuniting with indigo uh, randy i believe you were the one who mentioned it i thought that scene was not good um we don't even really get into it the businessman and kind of what that represents did not do a lot we'll for me uh, kind of obviously i hey i didn't even mention it um and then kind of because this is not necessarily a scene, but I think holistically, when you look at what about this film doesn't work for me, which I think is kind of the bigger thesis of the segment, I think what it boils down to, and we haven't really talked about it, is the runtime. I don't really need to get into it, but I do think like if you shave 20 to 30 minutes off here, 
it would help me quite a bit. I think with the runtime, it just, I, I think that's like um, kind of the X factor of why this doesn't work for me by the mm-hmm. end um, is it feels too wide and too spread out and too watered down and messy. If you clean it up, I think a lot of the issues go away or at least get more manageable for me. Um, but those are the three I will mention. Just by the way, I think like you can apply the same criticism to a lot of Spike Lee films. I think he just is a bit indulgent in many ways, right? Then you can just say like School Days is probably just like there's a massive musical number in here. We were just like, lamenting. We're just like, there's 20 minutes of music about the big old butt that you can just take out. Yeah. And it gets massively shorter and leaner. Tragic. I was not on this uh, school days episode. That and let them all talk from your Sodenberg. Like those two episodes, I should have been on to defend them and show you the light. We like to let them all talk, didn't we? We weren't. Oh we weren't gosh. like no, over the you moon. Guys, the entire time we're like, sorry, we're not eighty year old women, so we don't like this. <laughs> and I was like, fuck off. You can also just be a gay. Like there's another <laughs> whole demographic. Is this you're like your cats, but at house, whatever. Maybe shit. Like, old old white men and liked it. Do you watch old? It was incredible. Do you watch? Let them all talk in costume or something. <laughs> I'd love to. Oh my god! There's a, co- a brunch, like oh, cosplay yeah. sort of on the screening. So let them all talk when everyone dresses like eight-year-old women. Candace Bergen. <laughs> yeah, we sit by our Lucas Hedges like with best baseball caps and doors and shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can, yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it there. <laughs> Tell us um, what you hate about this film. This one's slightly tough, so I mean, my number one's going to be a little bit more left field, but we'll get there. Um, bottom three, I like the opening bookend. I do not like the the, the actual end. Uh, I like the opening of the bookend, but I don't like its 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 climax to it. I, I think it's just it sets him in a tone in that he's got to reach a journey. Um, sorry, he, he sits him on a journey where he's got to reach a specific a destination, which to me is like, it's interesting that alone, having a conversation, but what becomes in between it feels like a strange uh, benefit of it, but I've gone into it a lot. Um, I agree with Carson, not going to go into it. I think the archetype villains here are just like, oh, okay. Um, number one, right, this is going to be a bit strange, and I'm surprised no one mentioned this. I think it's really interesting, but slightly quite unnerving, knowing that I've got a sibling. I couldn't direct my sibling <laughs> having sex on screen, nor having nudity and directing her as such. Spike I think that's a re- an artist, okay? And she, she, she's, she's, she's said it. She said she never found it an issue. She said just like he spoke to like any other actress, which we'll get well, maybe more we'll read into that too much. But he was like, it, she just spoke to him like, like it was <laughs> said, get in there. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll get to do the right thing, and we'll we'll really start having conversations about that because that's 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 when we get some issues. But um, I just find that really strange to watch. Uh, that it didn't really hit me at first. I was like, you know, she looks like Spike Lee, and I was like, oh my god, that is Spike Lee's <laughs> sister. And then the fact that his father actually gives her away at the wedding was she was even more interesting. Um, I, th- I that made me slightly uncomfortable. It's not like a negative. I had to really push for this. Like it's but not I was like, like a porno that they were doing anything. No, but know? it's just I think I find it quite odd. I don't know. I just find it quite odd that there's there's a that he that he fa- that he has a sensuality, a really wonderful texture on screen about black skin about uh, a black affection that you don't ever really see at these times. Especially she's got to have it. But this one I think w- was a wonderful touch as well. But the fact that that's his sister, which is a very interesting 
uncomfortable nature yeah. to proceedings, although I, I had to reach for this one, but I did want to mention it because no one else did. Okay. Or maybe maybe one of you two will, I don't know. Prude. No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> My bottoms. Okay, so Carson mentioned, totally agree, uh, bleak demanding Indigo to take him back. Uh, I just don't like this ending much. Number two, the Butterbean, the comedian, his comedy is atrocious and i don't think i'm too prudish the but one like, joke he has like this is she was a nun didn't get none <laughs> sure Jesus, but yeah. i thought it was very abrasive not oh, funny Christ. anyway so that's wasn't that. this supposed to be like like eddie murphy type of comedy like this was this what people did in the in in the 80s just yeah picked on people in the audience uh, Don Rickles, yes. isn't it? Don Rickles type of energy. Wasn't Robin Harris also a stand-up yeah. comedian? Wasn't was he just doing his shit? Well, Charlie, I think Mer- he was just. I think he was just doing his shit, and and he passed away before this film was released, right? Yeah, it's in this yeah. loving memory. Uh, but but Char- still, like Charlie this, Murphy's this comedy. In this film there's some well, ugly right? people out there tonight. Good day, sir. <laughs> it's the uh, you know that. it's the nineties. Just relax. <laughs> but he ha- he has he has Charlie Murphy there as well, and. That's a strange choice. I agree with that to an extent, yeah, Andy. I think yeah. that's a... Um, okay, so my bottom, and I listened to this twice, so I'm pretty sure I got the line right. So anyway, it has to do with the pillow talk from between Clark and Bleak. And they're just talking. About, I think it's when they're discussing she wants to um, find an act and maybe get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And she was hoping maybe that Bleak would invite her at some point to uh, sing with the band. I think this. I think this is the moment. But at any rate, she's sort of straddling his back, and he's lying on his belly. And I thought she might be massaging him or something. But then she gets frustrated with Bleak, and then she hops out and says, "Pop your own bumps." And like, is she popping his pimples? Is this a discussion of backney? That is disgusting. So, ugh, that's my worst. I think that's, that's quite, what she said. That's quite an intimate thing oh between God. a couple. Yeah, I <laughs> not, so not reading into that, but I'm gonna... <laughs> back knee. Okay, maybe yeah. I should back knee is my there, bottom, right? bottom, bottom. Jakob, what's your bottom three? I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> so so gross. So I've got back knee. One small thing, and this is something that kind of irks me. There is no such word as irregardless. Oh, that's such a huge thing to come out with. Isn't it? <laughs> like this, it's Denzel Washington goes, goes like, irregardless of that, and like, actually, it's regardless. I'm, will- I'm willing to chalk that up to slang, just Stupid. because it's, it's in the title. He he hasn't gotten the grammar right in any single title so far that we've covered. Like, holy shit. So I'm, I'm willing to, <laughs> I'm okay with so I've got irregardlessly. One thing is, and it's a choice, as in like, and I don't quite understand why people do this. But if you want to go and like cat, like play catch with your with your, with your old man, like would you actually go and watch like don a New York Giants jersey, like for that? That's like, a very fi- that's the, a very American thing. For the five minutes I think of you just would. oh, let's go and throw <laughs> some balls. Like hold on, let me dress up for this. Fucking Jesus! Um, I can tell you this. It, it, I, I, Yes, I've been to Chicago. They fucking go out on, to play to do it on the baseball field, and they got the Cubs jersey on. Like, yes, it, yeah. it's very, very passionate. Yeah, yeah. I've got two more moments, and they all kind of come back to Spike Lee. 
uh, as an actor. <laughs> One is when when he's um, almost getting caught oh, by the bookie and wants, wants to break his arms, and he goes, "I want his arms broken, whatever." And he just like sneaks away like a cartoon character, just om- almost like a Bugs Bunny sort of like. Okay, I don't know. It's a, it's it's one of those moments where it's just like I don't know why it's there. So it's the it's the two minutes you could shave off to 129 minutes, I suppose, um, to make it a little bit leaner. And one is the simple fact that you set Spike Lee as an actor against Denzel Washington makes Spike Lee's <laughs> acting look even shittier than it is. Just this is something you just have to adjust to <laughs> as an experience. He just looks so fake, so so fake. So I thought it was okay this movie. time around. I, mean, I actually thought it was okay. Not, I mean, he's bad, but he's kind of charming because he just, I don't know, he he has this sort of swagger about him, but, you know, like, Den, Denzel just, like, blows him out of the world. It's almost like try, like me trying to act opposite, like, Marlon Brando. It's just, <laughs> just like, come on, Jacob, just fucking sit down. It helps he plays a runt. Yeah. That's with an R. Yeah, I suppose so, but, you know. And I suppose the guy with a broken finger kind of freaked me out a little bit. But, you know. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of it. So I think we've done it. So Mo Better Blues. I can't remember where you can. I think in the UK you can watch it on Now TV and Sky if you if you have the subscription. Um, in Canada, I think is it on Hollywood Suite? Canada, I watched it on Hollywood Suite. Yep. Where is it in America? Because I didn't check. Because I didn't do my homework. Because I'm a shitty host. Peacock. Peacock. There you go. It's in Peacock. A lot of um, Spike Lee films are on All Peacock. Right. I'm sh- I'm shocked this was on the Criterion release. I'm shocked like there's no bigger box set of his stuff. But anyway, maybe this is because it's just all peppered all throughout the studio system, so you don't know where to I get think, it. From. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, someone needs to get together for this to be released like a comprehensive Curzon. Like you know, when like you have like the Vim vendors, like twenty odd films, just do a whole spike Lee thing. Box set of everything. That'll be great. God. So yeah. But so there are ways to watch it. And then there's also physical media you can actually get your hands on. So yeah, that's it. It's watchable. It's it's accessible. Almost said watchable. It is damn, damn watchable. <laughs> it's damn, it is watchable. <laughs> but yeah, so you can watch more Better Blues where, where, wherever you choose to find it. And if you can't find it because you live in Argentina, then you know, Surfshark VPN is the sponsor of this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. So thanks guys for helping us suss this out. And um, almost... Just ruining Christmas, I suppose. <laughs> um, but you know, it was it was fun. Like it's almost three and a half hours at this point. Holy shit! We interrupt this up anyway. Carson, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us in here. Where can we find you and your stuff? Find me on Twitter at bp underscore movie reviews. Letterbox just Carson Tamar. Uh, watch Clappercast, where me and Jack's often on there. Um, talk about well, both new and old releases. It really depends on the uh, <laughs> on the week. So, um, come check it us check us wait, out. Wait, you need to kind of just take fewer breaks, but because I think we're just right on your tails with the episode numbering now. Yeah, we do it biweekly now, so you're gonna oh, catch right. up. It's fine. Just like, where's new Clappercast? What is going on? Oh, taking a break. It's what it is. Life is just you know is what it is. Jack, where can we find you? Sure, you can find. I'm fucking that kid. I got this conversation. We need tired to get now. a medic in here. Fucking hell, you can do me a favor. Um, you can find me on Letterbox, Twitter, um, 
with a username at JetLukeSharp, and you could find my reviews on uh, on Clapper and some features I'm trying to develop as well. Yeah. Legend. Randy? Cool. You can find me on X at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Brad7, and you can find me. I'm doing a bit more writing. I have a couple articles that have recently popped up, hosted by Jakob, actually, on his website at Flash. Uh, flashonfilm.com so go check those out yeah <clears throat> 70s retirement villa hello go so um also <laughs> you can find me what was i oh at talk about film on twitter slash x i suppose i still can't i can't get used to x you do all. that every week and you couldn't even remember your own fucking at then i know right because this is how much i care <laughs> about my social media presence. You know, if you weren't so fucking quick, right, you, you couldn't. Honestly. Oh, dear. So, yeah, at Talk About Film on Twitter, at Jakub Flash on Letterboxd, and flashonfilm.com is where you can find my shizzle. So, at, that's F L A S Z on film.com if you, if you ask. Glad you asked, by the way. Um, also, I write a, write a little bit on medium.com as well, at Jakub Flash as well in there. So that's my non-film sort of... It's almost like my diary in there. <laughs> so Very I've good. Got, I've got a few pieces in there um, that I was quite, quite happy with. There's more. Uh, uh, there's one more brew, brewing about like how Twitter's stupid. So like, just stay tuned because I'm going to drop it like a third somewhere in there, like maybe next week. And at, at this point, I have at least two features brewing about Mo Better Blues, so look out for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's that. That's me at Uncontrived Potties with the show. You can find it everywhere, I suppose. Which at this point is just like Twitter and Facebook, right? Because like everything else can just Instagram. And Instagram is kind of Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> I'll share. I'll share this on on my uh, letterbox as much as I can. Yeah. So yeah. So we, we're kind of there. Uncontrivedpodcast.com is the website where you can go and browse the shizzle. Patreon.com slash UncutGemsPod where you can get more shizzle about even better shizzle because it's more classic shizzle in addition to the, let's just say, more un- under underseen shizzle. Um, Coffee.com slash UncutGemsPod is where you can leave us a one-off donation if you so choose. And also, if you don't feel like spending money, fair enough, just tell a friend. Tell someone who may like this shit. And then just leave them to make up their own mind, I suppose. So with that, we're closing the episode. It's been four days now when since we started talking about this movie. So stay tuned for next week because we are launching our March theme of spring clinging. Cl- clinging. Cling on. Fuck. Spring clinging. So we'll be talking about movies about stalkers and people with unhealthy attachment issues. And we'll be starting with a conversation about Ingrid going west. So she's going to go west and we're going with her. And that's, um, by the way, just, okay, quick reminder, because we're just like making these themes to kind of just overlap with each other. So last month we talked about Terror in the Sky. And, oh, Jakob, how does it, how, how does a film about Terror in the Sky connect to a movie about this woman who just can't fucking just take a, take a break or whatever? Well, because we talked about Hindenburg, which was a journey from east to west. No. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she's also going west. I know, it doesn't make sense, but it's all we've got. (laughs) It's the best we could do. (laughs) Some of these overlap way better than others, and this is the one that's a little bit sketchy. But, you know, we're trying. Yeah, yes, it's something. Meanwhile, stay tuned until next week. 
and have yourself a nice day. Bye-bye.